Every day, we rise, challenging ourselves to work for what we believe in. At U.S. Border Patrol, protecting our borders is more than a job. It's a calling. Agents answer the call, working together to keep our country and communities safe. If you are ready for a new mission, join U.S. Border Patrol and go beyond. Learn more at cbp.gov slash careers. What to do with the waste that really convinces most of us they know what they're doing. So that is a scary issue still. Yeah, and uh, well, you just reminded me of something too. Remember um, the Mogadishu issue over there, and the, you know the tankers were getting uh, pirated by the local fishermen there on on the coastline. You know it was a dangerous area, and they had to have military escort through some of there. And they made a movie out of it with uh, what's his name, Tom Spanks or whatever. But part of the problem there, you know, you just mentioned it, the nuclear waste when they we're trying to get rid of it. Well, they didn't know what to do with it. Well, I'm looking and I'm researching and they had a picture on the beach over there in Mogadishu. And it was a, uh, I guess a, a tank or a, uh, container that they would, that they had uh, put some nuclear waste in, but, uh, you know, they did not process it and put it in a safe place. Basically what they're doing when they were dumping it off the coast over there, you know, this country doesn't have a, you know, really established government to say, Hey, no, stop that. And they didn't, you know, do all that. So they're basically just dumping off their coast. So my point is those people who were fishermen at one point were forced into piracy because they had no way of making a living because somebody came along and dumped a bunch of nuclear waste in their backyard and killed all their, all their fish. And I was like, ah, oh, you know, I didn't think about that. There's always a backstory to something. It's not just, you know, cut and dry and what you see on the news. If they tell you one thing on the news, you know, there's about 10, 15 different things behind that story that you need to look into. But yeah, uh, storage and uh, disposal of nuclear waste is, is pretty bad. And this was something they said this tank had washed up, you know, recently, like uh, from a, a big storm they had over there. But they uh, guessed that the uh, it was thrown out there probably like in the late 70s, early 80s. Because it was pretty deteriorated, and you know, you could see that yeah, there's no nuclear waste in there. It's all drained out somewhere in the ocean. So go figure. But yeah, there's always something else to the story. But not good. And uh, Frank just posted in the chat room. Uh, anybody that's listening, I forgot to mention. If you go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, you'll see on the left-hand side of the screen where you can click in the chat room. You'll set up a, uh, a name, username, and a password, and you can get in and be part of the show. We do check the chat room whenever we can, mostly at the breaks. But Frank put on a, a map of all the nuclear plants, so you can go check them out and see where everything's at. And um, we will uh, continue that discussion. We're getting ready to come up to commercial break here. Joe, thank you very much. Your man-on-the-street stuff is interesting as always. Oh, and we you. appreciate the hard work and the research. And uh, we'll have to get your uh, friend, the nuclear proctologist, that's a name I'll never forget, to come on and uh, we'll do a little uh, segment with him hopefully in the next few weeks. So cool. um, anyway, this is uh, Dr. Krupa's Natural Health Show on AmericanVoiceRadio.com. And we will be right back after this commercial break.
worried about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com, N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Maintaining your home air conditioner is just as important as maintenance on your car. You don't know the big difference there's going to be until you've had the work done. I thought my system was working fine, but now it's better than ever. Galen Beatty did it for me, and he'll do it for you. Good servicing will not only keep your system performing well during the sweltering summers here in Houston, but it will save you money year after year. In my case, it cut my AC power consumption by 20%. Do what I did. Have Galen Beatty set up regular AC maintenance to cut your energy bill and prevent system failure at the worst time. And what's better than being comfortable and saving money? Whether you need a basic tune-up or it's time to put in a new super-efficient system, you should call BDAC, 281-222-9591. That's 281-222-9591 to schedule an AC system tune-up. BDAC and Heat. That's B-E-E-D-E-A-C and Heat.com. BDAC and Heat.com. I would like to tell you about the only truly natural dog and cat food I have found anywhere. Most all companies add a synthetic vitamin mineral pack to their dry or kibble food. Nature's logic is different. With all natural ingredients and nothing man-made added, their owner, Scott Freeman, worked for another pet food company but decided he wanted to do things right. So he started Nature's Logic. You can check them out at natureslogic.com. You will find online and local stores where you can find their products. I spent a lot of time trying to find an all-natural pet food, and Nature's Logic was the only one out there. Give your pets the best and check out naturelogic.com. Your pets will be glad you did. They also have many other natural pet products to try. final segment of the first two-hour show. We really appreciate uh, everybody listening, and we had a caller tonight. We love that. We've got plenty of people talking in the chat room, and every once in a while we're getting phone calls and 
our man on the streets getting people asking questions. Uh, Joe, you brought up the bees earlier and the little drone things. Well, they're not ever going to work the same. Uh, natural and nature and God all know the difference. And I don't care bioidentical or electronic or drone, it will never, ever fool the body or fool nature. But for people that would like to help with the pollinating and do the good things the right way, and as many of you know, I used to do beekeeping until one of my neighbors stuck his nose in the fence one day while I was getting the honey. Just my luck, you only get honey one day One day out of the whole year, you go out there and get the honey out of the hive. And I always did it when everybody was at work and the kids were at school and there was nobody but me. But this day he was building a pool and they came up to the edge of the fence while I'm in a full bee suit and said, are you getting any honey? And then later on complained they got stung and I lost all my bees. So if you'd like to do some pollinating in your backyard and do some things natural, there is a magazine that I love. It's called Arbico, A-R-B-I-C-O, Organics. And you can go online and check them out. And they have bumblebee hives that you can have sent to your home. And what it is with the bumblebee hives, in fact, I'll just read this here. It says, these portable hives uh, arrive populated with enough bumblebees to provide efficient pollination for your garden or greenhouse. Uh, it tells you that the bumblebees are very efficient pollinators. They do not sting or build hives. They become active at temperatures as low as 40 degrees and remain active in low light and on windy days. So if you'd like to have some bees in your backyard that don't sting, that will improve your garden and make your flowers look better, bumblebees are the way to go. And the most expensive package they have here that covers 10 to 15,000 square feet and lasts three months, basically summer in most places, is $249.95. I can tell you from beekeeping, that's very inexpensive. And these guys take care of themselves. You're not out there working the hive or doing any of that stuff. They just hang around and pollinate stuff and take care of your garden and your flowers, and you'll have a, a really great thing out there. So if you're interested, it's Arbico Organics. And uh, this is a bumblebee hive. They don't sting, and they do not build hives. So pretty cool. That just follows up with what Joe brought up about the drone bees trying to do pollination. That's not ever going to work. And uh, they'd like you to think that. They'd like to think that they could just replace nature. But the the problem with bees out there is all these crazy fools with pesticides and sometimes people find bees in their backyard or their house, and instead of calling a, a beekeeper to come get them naturally, they call a pesticide company, and those crazy guys come out and kill them. Well, if we ever lose the bees, ladies and gentlemen, we're going to follow suit real fast because without the bees, we will not be here. That's right, Dave. That is a very good point. And let me add to that, the RFID also affects you know, the um I guess the compass of the bee, if you will. Uh, some great research that uh, came across where they actually tested, you know, they put a um, one of those little uh, the phones that you have in your house, you just uh, the carrier, you set it on there. They put one of those uh, in one of the hives, 
and the other one on the far end, they didn't have anything, but the one with the little phone in it with a little transmitting stand receiver, transmitter receiver stand, none of the bees returned. So, you know, if you're going to do that and set that up, you know, be careful of where you're putting your bees too. And, you know, it's not, and not to, not to demean, but you know, you got to think of this. It's not only for yourself at this point, folks, because we're getting close to critical mass. You know, you see so many assaults on our natural way of living. You're getting bees, not just to make your own garden beautiful, but you know, those bees cover a lot of ground. So you're actually helping your community. You're helping your neighbors. Uh, you're helping the world uh, in, in, a, in a small way, which if everybody did it, well, that would add up real quick. But, uh, you know, the, the forces are stacked against us, people. They don't want us here very much longer. They're doing everything that they possibly can to get you out of here. But uh, we're here to help make it a little graceful, more graceful exit on the way out. But, yeah, get the bees. I'm going to have to do some of that myself, Dave, and, and add, add to that um, list of things that uh, I'm trying to, trying to accomplish. Yeah, it's pretty neat. Just check out RBO, oh, Arbico Organics, and you'll see the bumblebees in there. It's pretty cool. I, I thought about doing it because it's a lot less money. You have to do it every year. It's not like the beekeeping I was doing um, where, you know, you keep building your hive and they return, and it's a, it was a wonderful thing. I got a, I got to do it for a couple years, and I had some of the greatest honey in the world, and then I lost it all because of the the neighbor and it was so sad because I started with bees in one of the phone boxes back there one of the cable phone boxes and uh it was natural and so I just kind of ended up harvesting and then adding to it and my neighbor did not understand that he said you're so lucky the neighbor didn't get stung she's allergic and I said bees are everywhere look around in the spring and the summer and you will see them everywhere you know, you're going to tag the bee and said he came from Dr. Krupa's house? I mean, come on. Um, the chat room and Frank wants to know if this is the happy news segment. It sure is. Uh, we had somebody just tell us that uh, over there in North Korea that Kim Jong just shot off another missile, and God only knows what he's putting in the air. He could be the reason that we're seeing more flus and colds and viruses going all over the place. You don't know what that crazy guy and. I hear they're doing it in Iran, too. So I guess that qualifies for happy news if you're from one of those two countries. Well, for the real. rest of the world, not so good. Yeah, no, it's real news. And, I mean, I think everybody needs to uh, know about it because they're going to be affected by it. Now, if he shot off, what, this is the second one, so he's only got eight left at uh, – because what Clinton's gave him uh, like ten of them or something like that. It's, uh, I read something about that, but anyway, hopefully, uh, you know, well, he's going to reap what he sows. You know, anything that's artificial and uh, negative and destructive usually kind of turns upon itself and eventually destroys itself. So, wish you wish you luck, uh, Mr. Kim Jong Un. Well, karma has a way of coming back and biting you in the butt, so uh, it'll get to catch up to him. On another good news for this segment, uh, there is bathroom etiquette, and we have talked about this, and it keeps coming up, and people ask me all the time uh, about flushing the toilet with the lid up or down. Well, what people don't understand, and I guess that's why they keep asking, is if you have the lid up when you flush a toilet, all that pressure from the tank does go into the bowl and go down, but at the same time, it sprays up, and it will spray everything in your bathroom. They did some studies a few years ago, and they found that flushing the toilet with the lid up 
got toilet debris all the way over on the soap and the faucets and the toothbrush and covered everything. So when you go into a place that has a cover that you can put the lid down on a toilet, flush it with the lid down, please. And if you go to somebody's office or business that has a bathroom that has a lid, put it down when you leave. Don't leave the lid up. And if you're in your own home, please don't do that. You wonder why you're getting sick from flushing the toilet and putting all that stuff back out all over the place that you don't see. So it comes up a lot, but whatever it's worth, we're mentioning it again. Uh, It's not something that you want to think about very often, but I tell you, if you put the lid down, you're sure going to have a lot cleaner, healthier bathroom. Sure, and uh, if you have to spray those, um, you know, the sprays to make it smell nice, for goodness sakes, get out of the room. Don't inhale that stuff. That is just, you know, a chemical bath for your lungs. You don't need to inhale that stuff. And, you know, you build up a sensitivity to the cleaning products around you over time. You probably don't realize it, but, you know, when you're cleaning your toilet or whatever and you're using those toxic chemicals, make sure you're not inhaling those, you know, make sure that room is well ventilated as well. Uh, Cause that's uh, bad news right there. And that'll uh, accumulate real quick. And uh, you're going to have problems with that as you get older. Good point, Joe. And some of the companies must be listening because they are coming out with more and more natural propellants because that stuff you're talking about, if you spray that and you're in there, not good for you. And so if they can figure out a way to do natural and they say they're doing it, um, that's a nice thing because then if somebody does forget, uh, it's not going to hurt them near as bad. But that other stuff, like you said, is very toxic. And uh, after a while, you start having problems and you could be like that neighbor you talked where you start needing inhalers and stuff because you've done damage to your lungs. And that's, uh, yeah, once you uh, damage those lungs, I mean, that's, Boy, that's that's difficult. It really cuts down a lot of um, activities that you can do. Even walking across the room sometimes becomes a chore. And then you get sick on top of that. Oof, man, that's bad news. Well, so be careful. Yeah, it's terrible. You're, you're very accurate. Uh, something else, we touched on this a little bit last week about gallbladders. And uh, we had a, a patient bring this up during the week. Um, they were having some problems with rashes. And I didn't find out, I uh, haven't seen this patient or heard from him in a few years, but they did let me know that uh, they got their gallbladder out and they said they had had gallbladder symptoms. So anyway, they got their gallbladder removed and they noticed that they didn't have the rashes at the moment. Well, the problem with that is the gallbladder is not a spare part and it was telling you like a check engine light in your car that there's a problem most likely with digestion and in particular the liver. So what happens is a lot of rashes and things like that are the liver getting rid of stuff through the skin, which is the largest organ in the body. So the gallbladder is supposed to take bile from the liver, concentrated, and then meter it out when we eat to help break down fat. So if you were getting a rash and breakouts, the gallbladder was in trouble and the liver was in trouble and it was signaling to you, help me, fix me. 
Well, they're real bad about taking out gallbladders today, and they make you think that they're not important. But once you get that gallbladder out, there are a lot of problems with digestion, and it just progressively gets worse and worse if we don't get control of it. And we do have some things that we can substitute, uh, and that'll be our uh, product of the day since we didn't get to that yet, is a product a standard process has called Colacol. And if somebody's interested, they can call me at 832-220-6163 during the working day. If you want to call after hours, that's great. But unless it's emergency, you won't hear from me until next day, usually after 9. But Colacol helps simulate uh, the gallbladder. It's got the natural bile salts and things. So even if you unfortunately let them take your gallbladder out, which is a terrible mistake, Uh, I've never seen one yet that needed to come out if we got to it first, so thank God for that. But if you've had it taken out, Colacol by standard process is a wonderful thing to take with the meals to substitute not having a gallbladder. So that that is a great thing. And that came up from last week, Joe. Uh, Somebody heard us. And then uh, that's another thing. As Frank would call it, Fedbook, uh, Facebook. Uh, A lot of times I read on there, people's health issues. And if you know me, if you listen to the show, please contact us and let us get a chance to talk to you and help. I can't comment when I see it on FedBook uh, and say things because then it's like I'm the doctor soliciting. But it just breaks my heart when somebody that I know on Facebook and on the Facebook friend stuff will post something and sometimes they're crying out for prayers or help for a sick person when it's something I could help them with, and I guess they forget. So I'm hoping more and more people will uh, listen to the show and notice on Facebook we have a new banner that Joe created for us that shows uh, our, our show and the time and where it's from and the name of it. So maybe they'll see that and it will catch more people's eyes and get more listeners that way. Because we want to help everybody, but if I see it on Facebook, I cannot comment and do anything because it's considered soliciting, and that's not a good thing. So, And the same, we mentioned it. It's getting a little better, but I still have some people that are using Facebook Messenger and my cell phone and email to want to talk about some of their medical issues, and we can't do that securely because your business is out there in the world, and that that's what we call patient confidentiality. We can't let that happen, and the HIPAA laws will be very tough on the doctor's offices that do those things and let it happen. So I try to remind people sometimes they get offended. They don't understand it's for their best interest, and it's also following the law, and if you don't follow that law, you could end up not having your license. It's not a good thing. No, and that's one of the reasons I do the show uh, with Dave. If you don't know my story, I'll give it to you real quick. I had uh, some, I had well four bulging discs, and um, they were ready to chop me up and uh, medicate me for the rest of my life. Uh, but through word of mouth, through a, a mutual friend, Richard, uh, he introduced me to the doctor, and I am, you know, back at it. I mean, I don't, you know, go out and power lift, but uh, I definitely am able to maintain a healthy lifestyle and just do, um, 
you know, things that, you know, we used to take for granted. So yeah, reach out to the doctor, you know, always get a second uh, opinion before you just commit to something. I know we're walking around and we're believe what we're told, you know, we're in this fog, you know, that everything we see on that box is good. And that's not necessarily the case, you know, dig a little deeper, you know, get that backstory, find out what's causing that problem and, uh, you know, reach out to the doctor and um, he can uh, he helped me and that's why I talk about it and that's why I feel so passionate about this uh, because it's something that I've experienced in my own life okay I'm not selling something but we're selling an idea and the doctor has helped me turn my life around and I can't thank you enough doc I enjoy doing the show with you and you know I, I hope you know, we get the good message out there to people. And, uh, you know, they look at this a little differently because everything that you were made with from when you were born is there for a reason. And, uh, you have the tools at your disposal to have a healthy lifestyle, but you know, you need to talk to the right people. And, uh, I suggest you reach out to Dr. Cooper when you have time, uh, call him at his office. Don't do it on Facebook because that is kind of awkward. And, you know, that's kind of personal information. I can talk about it because, well, I'm, here on the radio with him. So, and that's my commitment to you, the listener. I want you to be healthy. I want my country to be healthy. We got a long way to go and it's not over yet, folks. We're not throwing in the towel. Okay. Get healthy, get better, move forward. We can do it. Thank you, Joe. That was a well put really appreciate it. And it's a lot of fun having you here. So um, that's great. Ladies and gentlemen, and some good advice. I uh, had a comment from Frank, uh, he said that if you don't put the lid down, doesn't that help boost your immune system with all that stuff all over the place? It might. And uh, it might kill a lot of people, and it might cause some things to be worse. And what's really bad is all that stuff's laying around and you don't see it. But personally, Frank, when I brush my teeth, I like toothpaste to be on my toothbrush and I use a natural one, uh, Tom's or kiss my face, or, uh, there's another one I use. I forget the name right off the top of my head, but, uh, I prefer toothpaste, not toilet, uh, water from a freshly bust toilet on my, uh, toothbrush. So I'm, I'm going to stick to leaving the lid down, but yeah, I guess you're right. Technically being exposed to more of that stuff will boost some immunity, but it might kill some people. So, I'm going to stick with the lid down, but thanks for the comment, Frank. Good gosh. And when, when the cell phones, uh, when they did that sampling that you're talking about, the cell phones, people, you know, taking into the bathroom, that was one of the highest points of uh, contact on there too, wasn't it, Dave? Did you hear about that? Yeah, I, I remember hearing a little bit about that. People just don't think about that stuff. And uh, th then you've got the other extreme. You've got some people that will leave the toilet lit up, and they scrub their hands with these antibacterial things all day long, and that destroys their immune system, but they think they're being healthy. And a lot of these stores today, the same thing. People would be healthier just to go in, grab the grocery cart, and go. Hopefully it hasn't been in the bathroom with the lid up. But now they've got all these antibacterial wipes and hand cleaners before you grab the grocery cart, we become very prissy and over overindulgent into these antibiotic uh, hand cleaners and things, and they're not good for you. Once in a while, keep one in your car or someplace if there's no other way to wash your hands that you might have to, but don't make it an everyday thing. Some of these people are going crazy with them, using them all the time, 
And then they're sick all the time and they can't figure out why, well, they're not giving their body a chance to build good bacteria and that those those hand cleaners and stuff are, are just it's like taking an antibiotic. You're just doing it externally on a regular basis. It's very bad. Yeah, all that uh, absorbs into your skin. And uh, there are actually some studies done that it um, weakened the uh, male sperm, okay? It basically shriveled up the tail of um, the sperm that, you, you know, I'm thinking here. But it was... Basically, again, just something to uh, weaken your reproductive system. And if you're using this all the time and these are absorbing into your system, you know, look at the product label. Look at what's on there. There's some bad stuff. You think you're getting, uh, you know, okay, I'm getting, you know, getting rid of these bacteria that I got in my hands. But, okay, you might get that, but you're also going to suffer deeper, more internal stuff that uh, is going to take some time. So if you're, you know, young and you're looking to start a family and you're using that stuff, do not. That is some bad stuff, and I know they sell it as good, but it's, well, not. So that's my two cents on that. I love it. Uh, Frank said in the chat room, if you can't pronounce it, don't use it. That's good advice. But, you know, you got to remember people, they've got a lot of people that think they're doing good. You'll see them wiping their kids' hands constantly, and they don't want their kids around other kids that are sick. The best thing your kids can do is be exposed to all that stuff, Go play in the playground with the other kids, and they'll all have healthier immune systems. Quit wiping their hands with them wipes. You're making them sicker. And as they get older, they're going to be more and more sick, and the loving parent doesn't realize they're making the condition worse. So you need to talk to some crazy doctor like me and listen to our show and, and hear Joe and I talk about all this stuff. And like we always say, we're, we're trying to help you make good decisions. We, we don't want to tell you what to do. If you ask us, we'll give you our opinion. But especially for me, as has been in practice now for around 20 years, maybe a little bit longer, I've seen a lot of things. Uh, I've felt really stupid many days, and I'm always learning, and, and, and I don't give up. So you want a crazy guy like me that does not give up and will help you fight whatever's going on. And and I'll give you an honest answer. Don't don't ask me a question if you don't want the honest answer. Oh, and there's a lot of information. And uh, Dave, like I said, he helped me. But you know these conversations that we're having on this radio show, we probably sit there uh, for hours when I'd come and visit you, and and it was the same thing. You know, we were just talking like this, and then boom, one day it clicked. But Dave's out there looking for your help you know, for your best benefit. He's looking for your health and to do what he can. You know, again, he's not a, um, miracle healer, but he's pretty darn close. And I can say that, I guess, cause, uh, I direct result of that. So thanks again, Dave. And anybody that's listening, reach out to Dave. If you got something as even as something, something simple, there's always a solution and you just got to talk to the right people. And I'd strongly recommend Dr. Krupa. And this is not a celebrity endorsement. Uh, we're not getting paid big bucks to say these things. We just want people to be healthy. You know, I love to go out and see healthy people and talk to healthy people and live in a healthy country. It's wow, it's getting to the point though, where, you know, everybody's sick, everybody's got a problem. And, uh, you know, you really can't have a conversation with, but a select few people, you know, it's, it's kind of weird, but we can change that if we all get heading in the right direction and starting simple, starting small, call Dave, and figure it out. That's all well, I got to say. Joe. 
Thank you very much. And ladies and gentlemen, we really appreciate you being here. This is the time of the show where I like to tell you, please be very, very quick to listen and slow to speak. And don't be so busy worrying about tomorrow that you fail to live today. And don't beat yourself up. You can't do everything perfect, but try to enjoy your life. Do some good things. And, uh, you know, God bless you. Well, as the song says, whatever condition your condition is in at the start of the show, I'm hoping that we gave you some information so you can make some good decisions. And God willing, we will be here next week. We're going to be doing the new format from now on. It's 6 to 8 p.m. Central Standard Time. Please come join us. We love it when you call in. And if you've got suggestions, hosts, I mean, uh, guests you'd like to hear, let us know. We'll get them in here. So anyway, um, it's that time of the show. Thank you, Frank. Thank you, guys in the chat room. Thank you very much, Joe. I appreciate you being here. And God bless everybody. And good night. Good night, America. Seems the love I've known has always been the most destructive kind. Guess that's why now I feel so old before my time. Yesterday, when I was young, the taste of life was sweet as rain upon my tongue. I teased at life as if it were a foolish game. The way the evening breeze may tease a candle flame. The thousand dreams I dreamed, the splendid things I planned. I always built to last on weakened, shifting sand. I lived by night and shunned the naked light of day. And only now I see how the years ran away. Yesterday. The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its 
gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. People realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Good evening, and welcome to America Betrayed. I'm your host, John Clark, and you're listening to us on AVR, American Voice Radio Network, where you're always going to hear the truth. If you want to read about the truth, go to nationalwritersyndicate.com, www.nationalwritersyndicate.com. Check them out. Uh, You're going to read a lot of uh, truth that you're not going to see in in the uh, mainstream media. Uh, Also, I'd like to give out a uh, number that I think that people should really keep handy. It's the number of ICE, where you can turn in illegal aliens. Uh, The number, if you have a pen and paper handy, it's 866-347-2423. That's if you know illegal aliens, and they're not immigrants. And I get sick and tired of these shows like Fox and the rest of them keep calling them illegal immigrants, undocumented immigrants or whatever, especially that piece of crap, Geraldo Rivera. Uh, They're not immigrants. They're criminals. Even if they don't commit a crime once they come here, they committed a crime by coming across the border without our permission. And uh, they're going to try to put Trump in a uh, um, corner here, especially uh, saying that, uh, you know, uh, Islam is a uh, religion or Muslims are a religion. Uh, it's not. It's a cult, and it needs to be eliminated uh, worldwide. They need to be wiped off the face of the earth. That's going to be our subject tonight, uh, one of them, and also what's happening in Mexico uh, their reaction to what Trump plans to do, uh, already uh, they're receiving uh, quite a number of uh, illegal aliens uh, down at the border, busloads of them. Uh, I know down in Tijuana, I still haven't talked to my source down in, in Arizona uh, yet to find out what's happening at the port there. But uh, he also said that my source in uh, uh, San Ysidro said that a lot of the ones that they're returning don't even speak Spanish well, you know, that's their problem. And the other thing is uh, the, one of the first people to be deported had been here for 22 years and two kids. Well, of course, the opposition, that's going to jump on the baby-waving bull crap, and that's exactly what they did, the baby-waving. You know, she was ordered out of the country a long time ago. Well, they keep saying, don't break up the families. Okay, send the whole family back. Uh, they don't belong here. You want to do it the right way, come back and do it the right way. My wife did it the right way from Venezuela, and um, she's going to do it. Uh, I've got some uh, news. I th- I hope uh, this is uh, they found the source, uh, the leaks. Uh, all indicators are pointing to the CIA, which I had figured right from the beginning, NSA or CIA, uh, because the CIA is such a corrupt criminal organization going back to JFK. They were involved with the mafia and and the CIA killing JFK, and uh, they've done a number of things uh, over the years. And uh, I know uh, John F. Kennedy wanted to try to break them up, and that's one of the reasons why they killed them. Uh, There there were other reasons, too. But um, we do want to talk about uh, Islam, whether or not it's a religion, which I don't feel it is. I feel that uh, uh, they cannot exist in any Western civilization uh, they just because in in the Quran it says uh, we are infidels and we are to be uh, converted or killed. There is no in between. Well, they can kiss my you know what. Uh, anybody that wants a, their own religion or whatever, do whatever they want, but don't tell me that I've got to uh, go out and kiss a goat or um, marry a nine-year-old girl or uh, all this perverted behavior that these uh, uh, savages and that's exactly what they are. But we're going to have a panel tonight. Uh, my co-host, uh, Frank Steffen, of course, is on, and uh, we're going to find out how they feel about it. I've already given most of my feelings. Uh, uh, these are savages. They don't belong here. Not one um, 
Muslim country has taken any of these uh, uh, people from Syria at all, refugees, not one. They've all gone into Western countries. Now, why? And the reason, I think, is because of white genocide and to get rid of the Christian race. And that they have to be eliminated because it, it, they're not going to stop. It's been going on for centuries. The Crusades, it's going to keep going. But um, also, we're going to have John Vincent from American Immigration Control, uh, his uh, thoughts on it. And uh, Paul from New York. Uh, Paul is a uh, pretty uh, astute person, pretty well-educated, and uh, like to hear his uh, views on uh, uh, these savages. And if you don't think they're savages and you want to call in. Uh, I got the the number is 800-355-1955. Again, 800. Actually, John, it's 855. Oh, I'm sorry. Okay. 855. Oh, yeah. You got the rest right, I think. Yeah, 855-355-1955. That's the new uh, toll-free number. It just changed recently, so it kind of threw me off. Okay, first, uh, Frank, how, how do you feel about um, uh, Islam, Muslims? <laughs> well, well, how do I feel about them? Uh, I feel they ought to live back in the Middle East where they came from. Okay. I mean, I, you know, really, I don't have anything specifically against them as long as they stay where they belong. And where they belong is where they come from. And if they don't want to... If they don't want to be Western, they don't want to be Christian, they don't want to be a civilization, hey, that's that's fine with me. I mean, I don't care how other people live as long as they're not trying to make me live the way they've decided they want to live. You know, and that's how I feel about Muslims. They don't belong here. Exactly. That's how I feel. You know, somebody's saying that uh, you've got to either convert to uh, Islam or, or, or we kill you, behead you. You know, and I think people have been watching enough of this beheading crap. But uh, John, John Vincent, how do you feel? Well, I basically agree with uh, Frank. You know, there are, uh, you know, I think uh, two, three million uh, Muslims living in the U.S. Uh, as far as those who are, cons- are citizens, you know, if they will abide by our laws and, and live peaceably with us, I mean, I'm not going to criticize them. But we don't want to see the Muslim population grow and grow in this country if it does it'll reach a critical mass and will start doing the things that they're doing in europe um, everybody was accusing trump of uh, putting in a muslim ban actually it wasn't but i wish he would put in a ban basically to a large extent on muslim immigration uh, that religion just isn't compatible with our uh, values and way of life it just doesn't exactly yeah, the, the opposition, uh, which is, uh, believe it or not, Obama's back in uh, town in Washington, D.C. with a lot of backing. He just spent uh, a lot of time at a billionaire's island with uh, Branson and, and Soros and a few others to plan how he's going to retake uh, uh, the White House. And, uh, you know, Trump had better be careful. He better get rid of these illegal aliens. Uh, he better, in fact, uh, I, I feel uh, he better arrest Soros. Obama and Hillary, all three of them, uh, because if he doesn't, uh, they're going to destroy him or attempt to destroy him. Uh, Paul, how do you feel? Oh, thank you for having me, John. I I concur with your guests. Uh, The viewership tonight should understand that I'm a security investigation expert who uh, 
uh, has traveled extensively through Southeast and Middle East. I've been in countries. Uh, I always uh, find it interesting when I encounter people who want to have debates about uh, Islam, uh, Muslims, and yet they haven't even read the Koran, much less uh, read Sharia law, much less even traveled to a country where Sharia law is the predominant uh, law of the land. Uh, the issue here, John, is uh, putting aside the issue of what the Koran represents in perfection and following it uh, totally without equivocation, is the issue of lack of, assimil uh, lack of assimilation. Uh, Muslims uh, come into countries, they don't assimilate, uh, they're a pack mentality. If you look at Europe, most of the stories are being suppressed. Uh, I can tell you this, I've got buddies who are ex-Delta Force who are in uh, programs that don't exist in the country um, uh, who talk about horror shows, particularly in Sweden, a country that was once beautiful, peaceful, uh, which is now under siege, rapes, uh, uh, incredible assaults on its citizenry, and yet the press is being told not to report it. The police uh, forces there just are incapable of being able to do with the problem. The fundamental issue is uh, the PAC mentality. Uh, they've uh, increased in such staggering numbers uh, that, as your one guest, the immigration uh, gentleman, uh, had uh, alluded to, is, is that they've gotten to a point where they become emboldened and they're uncontrollable, and, and you know anything goes. And what right. goes, basically, is subjugation. And what people in this country have to understand, and I think I alluded to the last time I was on your show, a Pew Research study in 2014 uh, went into Muslim countries, predominant Muslim countries, and interviewed Muslims, and out of the 1.3 billion uh, Muslims that populate the planet, it is estimated 800 to 900 uh, Muslims uh, prefer, favor, and unabashedly state that Sharia law should be the law of the land. That you mean, eight, you mean 800,000? 800 million. 800 to oh, 900 million out of the 1.3 billion Muslims uh, oh, in okay. the Pew Research poll estimate, uh, estimated that 800 to 900 Muslims believe that Sharia law should be the controlling law of the land. That single reality uh, should be something that should be setting alarm bells off in anybody's uh, mind who wishes to listen and pay attention. Uh, that is the clarion call as far as I'm concerned. Yeah, well, I feel that if they follow the the Koran, uh, they, they, they they can't exist uh, with us. Uh, and you, you're talking about uh, people uh, becoming American uh, citizens and joining in. Well, blacks haven't done that either. All, 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 no other race. Everybody has folded in and become Americans, but blacks have always uh, kept their own separate thing. Black churches, black TV, black this, like you know. Uh, we we and that's who they're targeting. They're they're targeting. Right. Uh, blacks are targeting Mexico to, uh, you know, make amendments, and we we can't. We're going to be talking about Mexico, uh, hopefully this half or, or the next half hour of the show, uh, because we can't uh, make uh, Mexico our enemy. I mean, they're our next door neighbor. Uh, you know, we got to get these straightened out uh, peacefully, otherwise, you know, something can happen, and we'll be talking about uh, what Mexico plans on doing if uh, Trump follows through with everything. I feel that Trump really should uh, speed up the deportations, get as many out as he can, because that's uh, the voting block for the Democrats and also their army. That was Obama's army. Uh, they figured that uh, uh, Obama had set us up for the kill. Uh, Hillary was going to finish us off. Uh, they had promised all these Marxists and uh, Muslims that uh, they could come into the country with all these freebies and everything. Uh, well, Trump has upset that. Now, they said there was going to be a civil war uh, if she got in. Uh, she would uh, declare martial law. 
uh, but now they said it's going to be accelerated because of Trump. And I'm really amazed that Trump uh, is still uh, going because uh, the powers to be, all these billionaires, uh, all have a vested interest in keeping that border wide open because of the drugs, uh, uh, the slave labor, the you know the slave trade, and, and which is still going on, uh, the sex uh, parlors, uh, sex trade. Uh, you know that, that's what makes these billionaires, and they, they don't want that stopped. So it, it, that's why I feel that Obama and Hillary and uh, Soros should be arrested. Now, I don't understand why Putin hasn't grabbed Soros. He has a warrant out for him, but he hasn't grabbed him. I mean, this guy was KGB, and why, you know, why can't he grab this guy? This guy has caused more damage, and if uh, uh, Trump doesn't do something, uh, they're going to do a lot of damage uh, to this country. And the Democratic Party, I feel, should be labeled a terrorist organization because that's exactly what they are. Do you, do you agree with that, anybody? Well, I'll jump in. I, I agree with you. I think that uh, the last eight years and what this election has proven, whether you support Trump or don't support Trump, I support Trump, is the false uh, so-called empathy for the forgotten man. Uh, the ends justify the means. Uh, anything is uh, uh, fair play uh, as long as we accomplish our goal. I think to the issue of Soros is it may be a bit about – uh, Putin looking at Soros and creating such anarchy in the United States that that necessarily isn't a bad thing for Russia. Uh, so that may be one reason, uh, one may, uh, explanation as to why Putin hasn't moved. Uh, quite candidly, I'm just astounded that somebody hasn't marshaled, uh, you know, a, a very skill set uh, group of individuals to go in and just take out uh, uh, George Soros. I mean, the, at the end of the day, there would be some. Uh, you know, protest for a couple of days and then, you know, it's called move on. But uh, I think, and I'm not advocating that, I'm just surprised it hasn't happened. Uh, but if something like that happened, uh, the, the, the so-called model of George Soros, Soros uh, would be few and far between. Exactly. Um, Frank, how do you feel? Well, I, I don't see it as anybody's benefit, uh, including Russia, to have an unstable and dangerous United States, and that's where we're headed. And I don't see an advantage to anybody in the world for that. I think probably Putin hasn't grabbed this criminal because, I mean, look at the look at the way the press eviscerates Putin and Russia over things that, you know, like for instance, the Crimea. They, they didn't invade the Crimea. They didn't steal the Crimea. The people in the Crimea voted to be Russian. You know, I mean, this is you know, this is completely miscategorized through the press. And gosh, if he was to grab their their poster boy Soros and their beneficiary, I mean, this guy funds so many rotten, dirty, lousy communist revolution activities. And that's another point I'd like to make. This is not the Democratic Party anymore. This is a, a it's been completely co-opted by the worldwide communist revolution. And people think, wow, communism, come on. You know, well, read the documents from Trotsky and Lenin and those boys and you and Barry, and you will see exactly what they're doing, exactly how they operate is exactly what was laid out in like 1913 by these people. Yeah, well, also, you know, they, people don't realize that a lot of elements, uh, the so-called shadow government, <clears throat> are heavily involved in the satanic uh, sacrifices, uh, satanic rituals, 
which I'm pretty sure that uh, Hillary's going to be bought in on, too, if the, they do their job. The New York Police Department, they're going to find out about this. Like Trump said, uh, all pedophiles are going to be uh, really severely punished. Well, does that include uh, uh, the Muslims? You know, they're, they're marrying uh, nine-year-old girls. Uh, you know, uh, does that include homosexuals who have sex with uh, nine-year-old boys, 10-year-old boys? You know, uh, it, it, it's ridiculous. But... Um, we we have to do something uh, because it's uh, it's not just here; it's happening all the world. I've talked to friends of mine who travel quite a bit, have gone. And they said it's really disturbing the way things are shaping up, and one little spark can set it off. That's why we're going to be talking about Mexico in the next half hour. Uh, you know, we really have to keep an eye on that because if you look in the past, you'll see all it took was one spark, and we're in a world war. And with all the nukes uh, running around here. Uh, we can't afford that. I, I just don't understand why Putin is still buzzing our destroyers. Uh, it's a very dangerous game. China's doing the same thing now. Uh, I, I understand from a, a source friend of mine that uh, Japan and China really, when nobody's looking, they're really getting along, uh, but they don't like the island thing. Uh, they're also, uh, Japan's uh, very nervous about uh, North Korea. Uh, North Korea has the ability to put a uh, miniature nuke into uh, on a rocket, put it up. They've already proved that they can put a satellite there. They've miniaturized their nukes, put it over our country, EMPS. And this wacko, he just killed his half-brother. I mean, uh, he's, uh, uh, you know, I think that's why they're afraid of him, and, and they really should be. But uh, we're coming up on a break, and uh, if you'd like to call in, uh, the number is 855 355 1955 again 855-355-1955 and i'd like to welcome our friends in uh, mexico we have a lot of listeners down in baja uh, northern baja and uh, they're listening they're very anxious about what's going on with uh, our, our two countries uh, we have to really uh, uh more careful here and not let it get out of control again this is uh america betrayed on avr american voice radio and uh, you're always going to hear the truth here. And if you'd like to read about the truth, go to nationalwritersyndicate.com, and uh, you'll check it out. You'll see a preview of each week's show there. Go there and check it out. And uh, we're going to come up on our uh, first song. I, I like to go back to our past when it was fun. Our olden days, people say, well, the past is the past. But we know what's been lost already, us older people. And uh, we hope that we can try to revive it somehow and bring back some good stuff, some good times, instead of all this turmoil that's going on. Okay, so I hope you enjoy this music. This is a blast from the past. Many a tear has to fall, but it's all in the game. Once in a while you won't come. 
Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific. where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preservatives, or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. AVR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
Welcome back to America Betrayed. You're listening to us on AVR, American Voice Radio Network. And you can also read about uh, our show each week at National Writers Syndicate. That's www.nationalwritersyndicate.com. If you'd like to call in, the toll-free number is 855-355-1955. Again, 855-355-1955. If you'd like to turn in an illegal alien for the day, call this number, 866-347-2423. And make sure that they're illegal aliens uh, that you turn in. Uh, Call them. Now, we're going to be uh, talking about uh, Mexico this half hour uh, because uh, I, I've spent uh, a number of uh, times down in, in Mexico. I went down and uh, worked with a friend of mine to uh, film a, uh, uh, a thing on the on the drought in Mexico and California. Believe it or not, about 6 million Mexicans rely on the Colorado River. And it's a serious problem, but we were filming uh, down in uh, the Sonoran Desert. Uh, south, south of Mexicali, and uh, we saw a half-track uh, coming, and uh, it was uh, Mexican military, and I thought we were in trouble, but they were out there to protect us from the drug smugglers. But we were threatened by our own elements of our own government when we were filming in in, uh, in California. So we really have to be careful here. I know we were probably screwed on NAFTA, but so was Mexico, uh, you know, that, that's uh, the problem that uh, Obama and these other scumbags, uh, the Bushes, the Clintons, all of them, uh, you know, we were given the shaft, but that has to be straightened out. Uh, make sure everybody gets a fair deal. It's not Mexico's fault. Uh, you know, that uh, that they, <clears throat> that this happened, it's uh, the people that negotiated it. They're getting all our GMO uh, products uh, going down there. They're getting the real sugar. Uh, meanwhile, we're getting the high fructose. But, you know, Trump has uh, so far fallen his pledge to deport these illegal aliens. Uh, I don't know any, any Mexican that disagrees with that. Uh, there are elements that in Mexico that don't agree with that. That would be the criminal elements, uh, uh, the people, the, the drug smugglers and, and so on. But we have to get it under control. I feel that he should really uh, speed it up, uh, deport as many illegal aliens as he can before anything else happens. And uh, because, and the wall, I, I'm not sure about the wall. I mean, you could do it with so many other uh, ways, uh, you know, electronics and so on. We talked about that when we started the Minutemen project uh, down in Arizona many years ago. Um, but we need to. Uh, the dreamers, like I've said, uh, the dreamers, if they've committed a crime, are on the uh, government uh, dole. They should be. They're out of here. Um, now, I'd like to talk to bring John Vincent in on this because he is an authority on on uh, uh, illegal immigration. Uh, in fact, uh, he feels that we should cut back on uh, legal immigration, which I didn't uh, believe before, but definitely we do need to cut back on all of it and get an assessment of who we have in our country. Uh, how much, you know, do we have everybody? So look at all the land you have out there. Well, there's no water. I mean, there's water now, the, you know, Orville Dam's flooding over, but there's no aquifer. And uh, they're, they're still not out of, out of the uh, woods there yet. How, how do you feel about that, John, of building a wall uh, to compare to uh, using other, uh, you know, there's other ways and means. 
I think if we even stage the military there, which they do respect the military, they don't respect the border patrol. They throw rocks at them and everything else, but I don't think they would do that to the military. How do you feel? I think sending the military there would be a good idea. It would send the message that we're, we're that we are really serious about this. The thing is, you know, building the wall uh, only solves part of the problem because uh, from 40 percent to 50 percent of the illegal aliens in this country are people who came in on legal visas and overstayed those visas. They weren't border crossers, so you're only going to take care of about half the problem uh, with a wall. What you need to do is to have increased interior enforcement, and one way uh, to do this is to have mandatory E-Verify so that employers can check to see whether or not their people, uh, their new hires are authorized to work in the U.S. And also, we should um, deputize uh, local and state law enforcement to assist uh, ICE in deporting illegal aliens. Uh, Obama really cut back on that effort. I mean, he did everything he could to uh, destroy the 287G program that allows uh, uh, local and state law enforcement to uh, work with uh, ICE. Well, I, yeah, I, they, they're also talking about, like, bringing back a Becerra program, which won't work until they get the 14th Amendment uh, clarified, I feel, because uh, that means no women could come across uh, the, the border to work because then the child becomes a U.S. citizen. Uh, so uh, I, I thought it was working uh, pretty good, you know, with, uh, and in fact, uh, what's his name, the guy that headed up the, uh, the unions, uh, Cesar Chavez. Uh, hated illegals. He went down to the border to stop them themselves because uh, it was injuring, uh, um, you know, legal people that wanted to do it the, uh, the right way. But I also found out that uh, now that they're taking them by bus down there, they're releasing the Chinese for some reason. They're releasing them in Mexicali. They're not doing that. But uh, and uh, a lot of these people that they're deporting are also from the Central America. You know, they're, they come through uh, Mexico. But they have to realize that Mexico doesn't put up with this crap that we put up with uh, for so many years. I mean, you know, you've been fighting it. I was. It's, uh, so many others, Barbara Coe and uh, Terry Anderson. Terry Anderson used to say, if you're not mad, you're, you ain't paying attention. But now people are paying attention. I hope it's just, just not too late. So what would you recommend? Just the military? How about, uh, you know, there's so much electronic. Well, let, let's go to... Uh, uh, Paul, he's some a security expert. Uh, Paul, what would you do? Well, I mean, there's multiple things they would do. I, I do agree that obviously building a wall wouldn't necessarily address uh, the entire problem. And as your immigration expert will you know, has alluded to, uh, the issue of, of people coming into this country legally and what percentage that is and overstaying their visas. So, you know, obviously, uh, yes. I mean, if you were to put the National Guard or the military down on the border, that would send a stern message. Electronic uh, countermeasures would be also a good idea. But let's just talk about enforcing the laws. I mean, the reality is we talk about sanctuary cities here in the United States. And what people don't understand and the bleeding hearts don't understand, and you're, you're, you know, is there's a couple issues at play here. The federal government, when they give grant monies, the, in the law, built in the law, the federal government is obligated to place on notice any municipality, state, county, anybody who receives uh, grant money, that they're in violation of federal law, they have a certain period of time to rectify or correct it. It's not discretionary. It's not, gee, this is not a good idea. You need to get in, in line here. It's mandatory. It's built right in the statute. So 
these cities, uh, these counties, these agencies, these entities that are uh, refusing to adhere to federal law uh, and enforce federal law, uh, if they're not complying, uh, the federal statutes are, are, are clear in terms of grant monies. They're to be put on notice, and if the federal government does not act to, to remedy uh, and put them on notice and seek uh, that they ameliorate uh, their lack of compliance, they have no other choice. It's not discretionary. Money gets taken away. So you have to enforce the existing laws. I was comforted to see, and maybe it's just showcase, uh, the last couple days, uh, the raids that were being carried out uh, to first address the issue of the convicted felons, uh, the uh, illegals that are here. The other issue is this nonsense about anchor babies. Uh, your, uh, your legal expert will uh, concur with this. There's absolutely no law on the books ever passed by Congress. There's no Supreme Court case nor does this uh, 14th Amendment or any type of Supreme Court's, uh, Court case that addresses the, the, the 14th Amendment uh, that affords anyone born here, uh, uh, from a standpoint of illegals, this anchor baby status. It's a legal fiction. It just somehow, somewhere along the way, someone said that this probably was a good idea. Wink, wink, nod, nod, and no one ever did it. The fact is, it's complete nonsense. There's no support for it in the law. So enforce the laws countermeasures, military, um, and, 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 I, and I think that's a start. And I, I think the start in terms of addressing the real problem uh, elements, the million-plus uh, that are convicted felons that have multiple uh, deportation order violations, address that first and get them out of this country. Right. Okay? And then as you're doing that and you're rolling up in different areas to uh, ensure compliance – and enforcement of the law, I think what you're going to do, see is a gradual shift uh, in the other direction. I mean, this has been going around, going on for 35, 40 years of people doing nothing and not paying attention. Well, now the chickens have come home to roost, unfortunately. What I like to see is uh, take away the money from the Catholic Church. The Catholic Church receives a billion, that's billion with a B, dollars a year from taxes, federal and state taxes for refugee resettlement. Now, I've said this on uh, friends of mine's radio show, once in Baltimore, uh, once in Nebraska, and I said, call the Catholic Church and tell them I'm going to be on the show and I'm going to be talking about this. They want to debate it. Fine. Let them. They never would, because what they do is they pocket a lot of this money and then farm these refugees out to other nonprofit agencies. This is an insidious organization, the Catholic Church. I have no respect for them whatsoever. And, and what it boils down to, in essence, is uh, it's all religion that's bringing everything to a head here. You know, the, the, the Muslims, the Catholic, uh, uh, Christianity, uh, uh, you know, it, it just goes on and on. Uh, Frank, how, how do you feel about uh, uh, the wall and, and uh, security measures? Well, I think it's a mistake to ever look at Mexico as a friend of the United States or the Mexican people. And and that sounds bad, but I don't really look at it as all that bad of a thing because Mexico and the Mexican people are out for themselves. Whatever they can get that betters themselves, they're all for it. And and I don't generally have anything against that. This whole problem is less the Mexicans' problem than it is a Washington, D.C. problem. They're the ones that let this happen. The Mexicans are just taking advantage of what's what's put in front of them. I mean, if you take away all the free stuff that they get here— They'll, they'll leave. They won't be here anymore. There's no reason to be here. They're here for the stuff. That's all. The free medical, the free education, the free everything else. That's why they're here. You take that away, 
They don't have that anymore. And by law, they're not supposed to be getting any of that. Title 8, code, uh, U.S. Code, Title 8, Section 1324, uh, A1, A3, okay? And it's different situations. But this specifically speaks to sanctuary cities or states. It states, knowing or in reckless disregard of the fact that an alien has come to, entered, or remains in the United States in violation of law, conceals harbors or shields, well, sanctuary is shielding from detection or attempts to conceal harbor shield from detection, such alien in any place, including any building or any means of transportation. It is uh, a crime. And these crimes in, in, this complete, in this section here go from anywhere from five years in prison to 20 years in prison, you know, depending on which one. So just taking the money away from these sanctuary cities isn't the only weapon that, you know, uh, Trump has. Because Trump, by executive order, could start having these people arrested. Jerry Brown in California, oh, sanctuary state? Really? You're going to jail. You're going to jail for five years. You've just committed a federal felony. And Trump can do it by executive order now. Obviously, he'll have to have a trial or something. But he, can't ha- he can have him arrested because, see, Trump took an oath to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. He doesn't have a choice, like it was mentioned before. It's not discretionary. That oath is not, well, you know, if you feel like it. Or if it's a Tuesday or something. No, it's, that's all the time to faithfully execute the laws of the United States. You know, I think a wall is a, you know, it's, it's a crazy idea that we haven't had a wall yet. We should have had a wall right after the Mexican-American War. I mean, it, it's, it's insane that we don't have the wall, and it's insane that we don't have the United States military guarding that border. Yeah. My you opinion. Know, Frank, uh, we, we came out with uh, Proposition 187, uh, uh, back in the early 90s, uh, it was a proposition that 6 million Californians oh, voted I remember. for. It was to cut off benefits to illegal aliens. Uh, Barbara Coe spearheaded that. And uh, one federal judge, one federal judge uh, from the, I think it was the Ninth Circuit, Judge Felser, came in and said, no, that's the way they control us. You see, they did the same thing here with Trump. One federal judge said no, then it was uh, three of them, the same court. That's the way they control us. They control us with the federal judges and the IRS. Well, Both I'm not have- sure where that con- – you know, I- I'm not sure what authority that, that has. I mean, you know, so the court – my understanding of the federal courts anyway is they are broken up into districts. And, uh, okay, if the Ninth Circuit, okay, decides something, that decision only applies in the Ninth Circuit. Yeah, well, their their uh, decisions have been overturned something like eighty five percent. Yeah, they're the most overturned circuit in in the in the whole judiciary. But again, six million Californians voted for it, and one person came in and said no, and that stopped the whole Proposition one eighty seven. Right. One federal judge. So. Yeah, I remember. But it, 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 with the Fourteenth Amendment, the anchor babies, the whole bit, we tried to get that clarified. We're fighting the Catholic Church. We're fighting the drug cartels. We're fighting the Politicians. At one time, it looked like the, uh, the Republicans were on our side when I first went to Washington, D.C. Uh, the only reason why they were working with us because they saw how many Californians voted, and they said, oh, we'll jump on the bandwagon. But then when they saw we didn't have any teeth, uh, they said, screw you. George, when George Bush came on the scene, 
uh, it was all over. I saw the memos he sent out, don't touch immigration. Well, you know, I'm also wondering about the the court. I mean, the court has a, okay, everybody said, oh, well, you know, the 14th Amendment, which is a bogus ruling anyway because, see, a foreign national illegally in this nation is not under the jurisdiction of the United States, okay? They're still under the jurisdiction of wherever they came from. But that aside... The courts here have ruled in the past of the, uh, you know, uh, fruit from a poison tree doctrine, meaning that any gains you get from an illegal activity are also illegal. You don't get to keep them. You don't get to rob the bank, and if you can make it to your house and buy a bunch of stuff, you get to keep it. No, you don't. It's fruit from a poison tree. So if you're in the country illegally and you drop a baby here, Well, that child is the product of an illegal activity and therefore illegal itself under that doctrine. See, yeah, but it's even 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 more fundamentally. There's nothing in the Fourteenth Amendment where somebody can come over to the country, uh, deliver a child in this country, and that automatically is a child. Jurisdiction, and you alluded to, you have to have skin in the game. It's not jurisdiction. GA came to this country. There's a differentiation in terms of the case law. In the Supreme Court cases, when they talk about a foreign national uh, being arrested on the soil here and being entitled to certain constitutional rights in terms of our criminal justice system, as opposed to under the 14th Amendment, when they talk about jurisdiction, okay, jurisdiction is not the same thing as being here. You have to have skin in the game. You have to have the right to vote. You have to have the right to be conscripted, conscripted into the military. That is unequivocal. And for some reason, out of nowhere, if it's snap of the fingers, this legal fiction arose where uh, a child who was born here on U.S. soil, uh, who is the child of you know, illegals, that automatically they become American citizens. There's no law in the works. Congress has the plenary power. Uh, there's no law in the books. The 14th Amendment is fairly clear, and the, and the Supreme Court cases that have dealt with the 14th Amendment on the issue of what constitutes jurisdiction of the United States are pretty unequivocal that this so-called anchor baby thing is complete nonsense. Yeah, yeah well, I agree with that. Right. Yeah, but, you know, we've been working on that. John has been working on it for many, many years. He's been strictly uh, working on the illegal and legal immigration. And like I said, when I first met John, uh, he was saying that we need to cut back on legal immigration also. Uh, moratorium now. I remember remember the sign, and I was totally against it. In fact, uh, all the congressmen that I were working with said, don't even bring up uh, legal immigration. But like I said, all the traveling I've done over the years and seeing what's going on to our infrastructure and so on we we can't take any more people we're we're full up uh it's going to explode uh, when the colorado river dries up in the two years uh 40 million people are going to be affected and we we just can't take anymore now one of the uh, steps that mexico says they're going to take if we follow through with a lot of this trump follows through with a lot of this is they're going to stop buying our corn um and they're going to buy from brazil or, or uh, argentina uh, now, from my understanding, is they get the, the the corn with or the drinks with real sugar. Uh, we we get the high fructose uh, here here in this country, so that has to be leveled out somehow. Um, but it will impact the farmers because Mexico is the largest uh, buyer of uh, our our corn. So uh, we got to step 
uh, gently on this, and we can't uh, let some other power come into Mexico and say, hey, we're going to give you a better deal. You know, the best thing to happen, John, would be for all those farmers and all those companies growing that poison corn to go out of business. So I say, good, buy your corn elsewhere. Well, uh, that's uh, a... Mexico ought to be growing their own corn. The only reason they stopped was because the politics of Monsanto went down there and put them all out of business. The Mexican people didn't want to start buying this crap corn from us. They wanted to grow their hundred different varieties of corn, but Monsanto bought off the Mexican government. Well, yeah, well... Okay, guys, uh, quite a a discussion tonight. We've got a lot of things going on. Um... Do you have anything to add, uh, John? All I can say is it would be nice if we got rid of NAFTA and the Mexican corn farmers could get back into business, and that would uh, help slow down uh, the movement of Mexicans into this country. Yeah. Uh, John, why don't you give your website so people can check you out, and uh, they might want to purchase uh, the films that you have that I did for you over the years, um, especially uh, uh, Broken Borders, uh, showing how the drug smugglers and Illegal Cubans were going through uh, Puerto Rico, uh, Mona Island. Why don't you check that out? Why don't you give your website? www.aicfoundation.com. Okay. Uh, Paul, do you have anything you want to uh, give out? Uh, people can uh, reach us at www.aaaprivateinvestigations.com. Uh, com. We are a security investigation entity uh, in New York City. We are licensed and bonded. Uh, we've been licensed and bonded for 35 years, um, and we uh, address any number of issues concerning investigation and uh, security. Well, I like to have, hire you to get Soros. <laughs> we can have that conversation after the air. Okay. And, uh, Frank, uh, you got any parting comments? Well, AmericanVoiceRadio.com is the uh, network website. Give it a, you know, give it a look over, and uh, there's a lot of great shows on here. Yeah, you have uh, one of the better shows. You've been at it for a long time, Frank, and uh, appreciate everything you've done. Also, check out uh, NationalWritersSyndicate.com. That's www.NationalWritersSyndicate.com. Uh, there'll be a preview of the show each week on there. Check it out a few days ahead of time. And, um, you know, call in and uh, let us know what you think. If you say you, you don't know what you're talking about, that, that's fine, too. But uh, I like obscene phone calls, so, you know, give a call. And, again, it looks like the CIA uh doing that. Oh, hey, John. Yeah. Uh, earlier today, a little news for you is uh, uh, two of our streams got hacked. We fixed it pretty quick. It only took, like, 20 minutes from when I found out about it to get it fixed. Uh, but, yeah, somebody... Uh, Somebody got in and hijacked two of our streams. Oh, wow. And uh, It's the progressive left who uh, feigns this sort of uh, support for the First Amendment, but feigning the empathy for the common man, the forgotten man. When it comes to First Amendment, my views and only my views and everybody else be damned and rioting, personal violence uh, is acceptable to shut you down. Oh, yeah, yeah. But it was pretty easy to fix, I mean, because it it was just basically, you know, change a few passwords and uh, we were back back where we were supposed to be. But first time since 1998 anybody has ever hacked a stream. Wow. 
Okay, well, they're getting better, I guess. Okay, uh, see you uh, next Wednesday. Next Wednesday, we're going to have an exciting show. I think you'll enjoy it. We're going to have uh, somebody uh, on the show that uh, really uh, they're going to tell their views of how they feel about Jews. And I think you'll find it very uh, enlightening. And um, we may have a uh, counter uh, talk on it. Uh, thanks, guys, for uh, being on the show. And uh, like I said, see you next week, 6 p.m. West Coast, 9 p.m. East Coast, and that's AVR, American Voice Radio Network. And uh, the song we're ending with is one of the great all-time singers, great all-time songs. And like I said, bring back the past, and I hope you enjoy it. See you next week.
The political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit discount gold and silver trading at dgscoins.com. That's dgscoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. And this is Financial Survival for Wednesday night, uh, second, uh, 24th day of February, Year of Our Lord, 2016. Um, James Corbett is scheduled to be our guest after the first break. He should be here in about 20 minutes. And in the meantime, I'll give you the market reports for today and a few more comments. Uh, where am I? Try to get this thing... I know where I am, but apparently I don't know exactly where the market report is. Gold is up $3 during the day-to-day to to uh, $1,229.40 per ounce. Silver is down $0.06 to $15.31 per ounce. Platinum is down 6 bucks to $942 an ounce. Palladium is uh, down $13 to $490 per ounce. It's interesting to see what happened to gold today. It was up as high as 1253. It closed at 1229. Uh it was up as high as so it was up what $24 higher than it closed. Um it was also lower $3 than it closed, but it was, we had a decent day. We got we got $3 out of it. Uh <clears throat> um at the same time the markets Gold was up dramatically. I mean, it was exciting early this until maybe noon. 
And at the same time, the Dow Jones uh, market, for example, is down to almost 300 points. Nevertheless, Dow came up, came back uh, to a positive 53 points to 16,485, while gold dropped from 1,253 to $1,229.40. It's one of those things you look at, and it's hard to... It's hard to resist the temptation to say, you know, the markets must be manipulated. All right. Uh, they came back. The market had was down 300 points. They came back and saved it. Gold was up 25, more than that. And they came back and, and knocked gold down. They didn't knock it into negative territory. We still made three bucks a day, three bucks for the day. And in fact, gold went up another 440 on top of that in the, in the foreign markets since the U.S. markets have closed. On the foreign markets, the price of gold is now $1,233.80. Right. I think one of the lessons here, it doesn't disturb me, it irritates me, but it doesn't disturb me that the price of gold was, was up over 1250 and they knocked it back down to 1229 Um It doesn't disturb me because... As I look at it, it's now inevitable. Gold has been over 1250. I think it'll be back, and maybe who knows in in uh, in tomorrow's market, maybe Fridays. It's hard to say. We don't know what's going to happen here for sure, but the momentum is there. And even when they slap it down dramatically, gold still hangs on, still turns a three dollar uh, day profit increase in price. And another 440 in the in the overnight markets. So far, we'll see how that works out. We won't know until tomorrow for sure. But gold is increasingly an idea whose time has come. It's it's an idea whose time has come before, and it gets put back for a while, and then it comes again. And I think we're seeing that. I think we're seeing an upward trend that may be long term. We are always subject to significant changes that can drive the market down. Market price of gold can be collapsed. Who knows what didn't happen? I mean, some people say it could fall to a thousand dollars an ounce. Some people say Harry Dent he was he's predicted seven hundred. I think <laughs> I think that'll be pre present Mr. Dent with a with a great opportunity to develop his sense of humor because he's going to have that prediction thrown in his face for a number of years probably before and he's going to have to learn to laugh about it if, if he hasn't already um, but it's not impossible but it still doesn't get in way in the way of the inevitable price of gold is going up right even if they knock it down it's going back up it's going back up it's going back up right now it really looks like we are in the beginning of another bull market in gold. Some people would say it's a continuation of the bull market that was already there. We can fence with the words, but the point is, it really does look like the trend is up. Dow Jones, as I said, was up 53 points to 16,485. NASDAQ was up 39 points to 4,543. New York Stock Exchange was up 11.75 to 9,506. U.S. dollar index, um, I think, was actually up in the overnight market. It's down 0 0.03. During the day, it was up a little bit. Demand is currently at 97.45.
And crude oil up a little bit during the day down in the overnight markets is at currently at $32.02 per barrel. And we'll see what's going to happen to crude oil in the future. Let's see if I can find my notes for today. Uh, here's one that interests me. This is a, the headline is from zerohedge.com. And the headline is, we've reached the limit. Denmark's central bank chief says monetary policy is exhausted. Now, Denmark isn't the biggest country on earth. In fact, it's one of the smaller countries. But they carry a certain amount of weight, and they have someone in the in the in what in the their equivalent to the Federal Reserve, who's essentially said, "Look, we can't do anymore. We've done everything we can with quantitative easing. It doesn't work. We've hit the limit. There's no more we can do." I'm sure there are a host of other central banks and central bankers who are who would agree with his opinion. They haven't expressed it yet. For most of them, they don't dare. All right? I mean, can the Federal Reserve admit that there's nothing else they can do? They're no longer in control? And if they're not, how will they ever regain control? If they've lost control, will we remain? Will we continue to have confidence in the Federal Reserve? I don't see how we can. If we don't have confidence in the Federal Reserve, what is our motivation to invest in the United States stock markets? Over the last several years, the stock markets have gone up, 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 and up. Right? Since the Great Recession of 2008, thereabouts. We've been in a constant uptrend <coughs> for the markets, and the reason for that is not because the economy has grown stronger. The reason is that the markets have been artificially supported by the Federal Reserve. And as long as people know that the markets are supported by the Federal Reserve, they have been inclined to invest. They say, look, the game is rigged. You can't lose. You understand the Federal Reserve is going to get into guarantee that virtually everyone who gets into the market, it's not everyone, of course. Some people lose. But predominantly you're going to win, and you're going to win, and you're going to win. And it has nothing. You don't have to look at the stock to find out if it's a good stock, a great stock, a poor stock. That's not true. It's an exaggeration to make my point. You do have to look at the stocks, but you don't have to be all that concerned about fundamentals. As long as the game was rigged by the Federal Reserve, you could safely bet. You could bet in the in the stock markets, U.S. stock markets, without taking extraordinary risk. And compared to placing your wealth into a bank after the after the Federal Reserve had established a zero interest rate policy, ZERP, and they kept the interest rate down around a quarter of a percent, they didn't make anything in the bank anyway. So why not invest in the stock market, which was artificially supported and therefore rigged by the Federal Reserve? And a lot of people went along with that. And it's, it was part of the mindset. And here we have a central bank in Denmark that's saying, look, we're admitting that quantitative easing doesn't really work. 
Now, that admission has to apply here in the United States also. And as people begin to pick up on this, and they are, they're realizing, wait a second, this stuff doesn't work. So do I dare risk investing in the stock market that's been driven, pushed to artificial highs over the last six, eight years by the Federal Reserve? But the Federal Reserve is out of energy, out of tricks, and can no longer support the Federal, can no longer support the uh, Dow Jones, for example. Are investors still eager? to the, the game is no longer rigged, at least not to the same extent that was true just a couple of years ago. And more importantly, <clears throat> the game is the game is it's, the game's not rigged, but more importantly. It looks like there's nothing left that the Federal Reserve can do. Can't be rigged. They can't reassert quantitative easing. They can't really give us negative interest rates. They may try. I don't doubt that they may try. And we'll talk a little more about that when James Corbett gets on here on the program. <clears throat> but if they can't hold the market up, how safe is it to invest in the market? You know, there's, uh, it was pushed, it was arguably pushed to artificially high levels, levels that weren't justified by fundamentals. They were justified by the tinkering of the Federal Reserve. Investors were not investing in the market per se. They were investing in the Federal Reserve's ability to rig the markets and push them higher and higher and higher without ever really, without ever encountering a serious decline. If the Fed, if it becomes clear and the public comes to believe, investors come to believe that the Fed can no longer manipulate the market, what's going to happen? I don't believe the market will simply sit there in a, in a state of, you know, just won't go up, won't go down. Once people lose confidence in the Fed's ability, once investors lose confidence in the Fed's ability to manipulate the market, they're going to move out of the market, and prices in the markets should fall. And the implication are, is that those of you who've invested in the stock market, you may want to rethink that. I'm sure all of you are. I'm, I'm sure that's happening already. If you've got, if you have invested some of your wealth in the stock market, I'm sure that those of you have. You're already in a state of saying, hmm, should I, should I stick or should I go? Should I take the losses I've already suffered here in the last year or two? And just accept them and get out while the getting is still good, or shall I hang on because the market is going to come back? I can't tell you. I don't have an answer for that. I can't tell you God's. I don't know. I don't know God's truth on that. Uh, the market could come back. It's not impossible, but everything indicates probably not. The odds are in favor of the market going lower and lower and significantly lower. And I'm certainly not the first one or the only one to say so. There is a lot of consensus that the market is headed lower than some, some people are talking 50%, maybe more. So I'm looking at, from my perspective, part of the reason for the market's decline is the Fed's loss of, of uh, capacity to at least maintain the illusion that they're in control of the markets. If they're not, as, again, the Denmark Central, Central Bank chief says, we've reached the limit. Monetary policy is exhausted. Truth be told, I think the same thing could be said from Janet Yellen. I don't think they've got any more market. I don't think they've got any more 
tricks that can manipulate the market, but we'll see. The article I was quoting from refers to Ben Krugman, uh, um, uh, Paul Krugman, uh, the economist and writer for the the uh, New York Times, Nobel Prize winner, and they they criticize him to some degree, and they and they go on and they say one question one might fairly ask Krugman is why the world is still stuck with a stubborn deflationary impulse eight years after Ben Bernanke mustered the courage to print. And that is an interesting question. It's not a new question, of course. But they've been trying to manipulate the markets upward or manipulate the economy upward. They've manipulated the markets, but the economy. They've been trying to stimulate the economy with by basically giving money away at near zero interest rates. It was, this was supposed to, the whole idea behind zero interest rate policy is that the Federal Reserve would cause money to be made available to the public to borrow, and the public would go out and borrow this cheap money, and they'd go out and buy flat screen TVs and new cars and new homes because the interest rates were so cheap. It hasn't worked. People have refused to accept the promise of a free lunch. And bankers around the world, certainly central bankers, are concerned. What has happened? What has happened where the public is not taking this deal? And I have a theory that maybe we'll get into with uh, James Corbett when he, when he arrives in about five minutes or so. Um, I have a theory, and I've had it for a long time. I wrote an article about it back in the 1990s, about the impact of the Internet. And and I wonder, and I certainly can't prove it, this is pure speculation on my part, but I wonder if it's possible that the reason deflation has grabbed hold of the global economy and the U.S. economy, and it's been, the forces have been there, they've been growing for, for a while, but they seem to grab and hold them. They can't seem to escape, escape them, the forces of deflation, the forces of economic depression. What's moving them? I think it might be the Internet. And I can hear some people groaning, oh, my God, this man lost his mind. That would be me, of course. Well, I don't think so. Uh, the problem with the Internet is that the competition on the Internet is incredibly fierce. And the competition is constantly driving prices down and down and down and down and down. And to some degree, the Internet has forced businesses to go to third world countries for labor because they can't afford first world labor because they are competing on the Internet where anyone who has a computer can compete if they care to. And the result is one guy, he, he sells a refrigerator and he makes 20 bucks on it on, on the Internet, and he turns around, um, someone else comes along and says, look, 20 bucks is great, but I, I'll be glad to sell you that refrigerator for $10. And somebody else will sell it for 5 and somebody else will sell it for 1 And pretty soon somebody's out of business and you're buying refrigerators at eBay for a fraction of their former value, the former price. The competition is so fierce on the Internet that it drives prices down, and when prices decline, that's one of the hallmarks of an economic depression. All right? Price declines. And I have a hunch, and that's all it is, is a hunch, but 
I think maybe the Internet is the, is the responsible party for our prolonged economic recession and our failure to recover. It has fostered levels of competition never before seen on Earth. And it inevitably means, I mean, they have programs that will chase down the cheapest product. Tell them what you want. I want a new new uh, camera by this manufacturer. Fine. They'll find a dozen, 20 different places in your, close to your zip code that are selling the camera, and they'll tell you what the prices are and point out this is the best deal. That has to be killing businesses. It's hurting badly, and how this is going to work out remains to be seen. We'll speculate on the internet more at some point in the future, but for now we'll take some commercial announcements, and when I return, I should be here with James Corbett. Please stay tuned. Choices. 
Hi, folks. I'm Alfred Adisk, and this is Financial Survival, brought to you by Discount Gold and Silver, 1-800-375-4188. Our guest is James Corbett from the Corbett Report, corbettreport.com. Um, James is our regular guest on Thursdays, but he missed the last two weeks, one for the Japanese New Year, if I understand correctly. In the second week, your son was sick. I hope your son has recovered and uh, he's doing fine, and I assume that's the case. Am I right? He is indeed. He's uh, he's young. He uh, he gets sick. He gets well very quickly, so it was no major deal. But uh, not Japanese New Year, Japanese Foundation Day. Uh, the date that they have historically agreed on was the date of the first emperor, uh, you know, United Japan okay. or what have you. It's uh, probably made up, but anyway, it's a good day for it's a good excuse for a day off. I understand. Uh, do you understand that I've got a report here from Zero Hedge, and part of the headline is safes sell out in Japan. Have you seen that article? Are you? I have seen the article. I've read about it online. I have not experienced that yet in my daily life. I'm going to take a trip down to the local home center, as they're called here, to see if uh, if that is actually the case in my neck of the woods. Uh-huh. I think this is probably going to be one of those stories that get reported on more so than you actually find in real life, because I don't see a lot of that panic amongst the general public here yet. But, okay. I mean, I think there is probably a vanguard. There are people with their ear to the ground who know what's going on, with their head screwed on straight, who realize where things are going and are concerned about uh, their, their money in their bank, as I think they should be in the negative interest rate environment. But having said that, let's keep in mind, Japan, I, I'm pretty sure, has to be down near the absolute bottom of crime rates in the entire world. So, again, I'm not sure people are freaking out about anything quite, quite yet. I don't think they so they I don't think they mean that they they've sold a, a safe to every every household in Japan as well. A safe I I would suppose I would suppose it's a pretty thin market to begin yeah. with. Safes aren't yeah. the sort of thing yeah, that exactly. uh, you buy on a regular basis. So exactly. you buy so one out of your lifetime. Gonna, a, yeah, yeah. Run out. But here's another part of it that interested me in the headline. It said one thousand franc note demand soars. All right. And the implication is that the people in Japan are grabbing hold of a thousand franc notes um, against the possibility, who knows, of uh, high, large, large size notes being pulled out of the economy. It's at least threatened right. in Europe, threatened here in the United States. Do you think the government of the United States is going to remove remove the hundred dollar bill from circulation? They are definitely, well, there are people in the system who are talking about it, and most notably, yeah. of course, Larry Summers, who mm-hmm. people might remember as the guy who helped with the repeal of Glass-Steagall back in the late 90s under Clinton, which led to, or at least was part of what led to the, the craziness of the 2000s. So um, there are some high-level people who are talking about this idea. Uh, I think it's going to take a fair bit of conditioning before the public is ready for it, but I do see it as something that's on the cards. And we're starting – I think more likely we're going to see the 500-euro note uh, retired first, and then they'll get to work on the $100 bill. You know, with all the $100 bills that are something like 75%, according to some estimates, of all the $100 bills that are in circulation are actually in circulation overseas. And people have them. It's not just Americans who are – some Americans who are hanging on to their $100 bills. People overseas, India, for example, right? they're hanging on to $100 bills. There's other countries where they believe it's a, val- a valid store of wealth. 
What happens to those $100 bills if the government pulls them out of circulation in this country? Do they become worthless? One would assume there will be a redemption period. I mean, they're not just going to suddenly say, hey, all those $100 bills are worthless. I think they'll say, you know, you have to trade them in for 20s and 50s or whatever. And I think there would be that window. Yeah, Yeah. exactly. Something like that. So if you've got them buried and you don't know about this and you miss the time window, then maybe at that point it'll be useless. Maybe Maybe they have collector's items. It's like Confederate money or something. Oh, my gosh, I just found a... Maybe in a few hundred years, it'll be rare enough to be valuable again. Absolutely. But in the meantime, what's to stop the American people from grabbing on to a thousand franc notes, for example? Or well, nothing, if really. they take and, our $100 yeah. bills away, what's to keep us from getting foreign currencies from some country that still issues a large a large uh, currency, uh, an item of currency. Um, And where I'm going with this is, can the idea is they're supposed to, they're going to, they want to take the cash out of the society. Can they really do that? Or will the people improvise and take, okay, we don't have dollars. We'll use use some Chinese yuan. And if that's the case, can they really get rid of the $100 bills or the 500 euro bills, can they get rid of those except on a global basis? Do they have to get rid of all the big notes at the same time? If one country sits back and says, well, we're not getting rid of ours, does that suddenly take on a global value? People say, yeah, I'll, I'll use, I don't know, how big, how large a note can you get out of China? Do you know? I don't know off the top of my head. Mm-hmm. Um, probably, I, well, I want to say probably not that much, just when you do the 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 conversion, it won't amount to very much. But I, I don't know off the top of my head what their largest note is. No, there's but un- having said something. that, yeah. well, having said that, I think you're right. I think that people will always find a way. And if that way is uh, a large denomination in another currency, then that will become a valued thing for people and mm-hmm. people will start to trade in them. Um, and I think the best example, I mean, let's, let's put this into an extreme example so you can see the way these types of things work. Of course, in prisons, well, I mean, trading uh, with other prisoners in cash is not allowed. So what do they do? They find uh, all sorts of other ways. Cigarettes become an economy. There's a, there's an economy of cigarettes and people Mm -hmm. trade and and use that as a currency. I mean, it's the same principle. Uh, Just think of that in in society. If they say you can't use this or you can't use that, then people just find a way to trade around it. So you would be, I'm sure people would be surprised what will ultimately end up circulating you know, if they do try to do this on an ad hoc basis, I think you're right. I think it would have to be, I mean, I, I don't think it'll be a coordinated all on the same day global push, but I think they will try to knock over the 500 euro and then the $100 bill. And then there will be others that will follow behind them. And uh, one has to wonder what would be the currency that would be the strongest with the largest denomination that would hold out the longest against that onslaught. And, you know, you had to guess which one would it likely be? Yeah, well, Swiss well, franc. One I mean, Switzerland has is likely to stand up and say, "Look, we're going to issue." Hey, I see an opportunity. I'm going to issue some <laughs> five thousand ruble notes right. as in Russia. Right, right. Well, yeah, it could be that, but I don't think. Well, I don't think uh, it should trust the ruble that much, considering the precarious position it's in. But I, I think the Swiss franc. I mean, Switzerland has been known historically for its neutrality for its unwillingness to go along financially, to reveal banking records and that sort of thing. That has changed in the last few years with uh, 
various U.S. regulations now applying to uh, Swiss banks, and they're starting to pry open that famous secrecy. But I think there's still the reputation there that Switzerland would be a, a, a holdout against this type of move. So Swiss francs might be might be the logical conclusion. But again, as I say, you never really know. You can't predict the way these things will turn out. I have a friend who lives down in Argentina, and he's told me that Argentina goes through these little currency problems on a regular basis, <laughs> and the locals know how to handle it. They just print their own money. They print essentially trade units for their city, their community, their county, their region, and they all and they all agree. I'll accept this for so many, however they price them out, and they they agree to accept them, and they you know they'll enforce the acceptance, and uh, business goes on. They make their own money. That's all. They're used to it. It's not so. They're not afraid of Argentina having another another currency crisis. They just oh, fine. You know, we'll make our own money. We don't need you guys. So it is interesting. There's, there's, uh, it's, it's maybe the maybe the story is hyped, and intended, or at least has the effect of scaring people more than would be, than is justified. And of course, one of the points is how many people have ninety percent junk silver or even gold coins. Mm-hmm. I mean, once it goes down, if there's no if there are no hundred dollar bills left, but there's still silver dollars. I'm going to guess that some people are going to trade in silver dollars. So. There will absolutely be pressure on other markets like precious yeah. metals if, if they do go to something like that. But it, I think you're right. It's, it's fundamentally a psychological operation. I mean, fundamentally, that's what this is about. And it's about getting the vast majority of people to go along with it. Uh, of course, there are going to be people who are going to find the cracks and people yeah. who would yeah. who would be the types who would hoard cash anyway would find another way to do it. But that's not everybody. As you know, a lot of people are just happy to go along with the system as it is, and they just kind of accept uh, whatever's oh. happening. So, What do you think is the fundamental difference between people who do go along with the system and people who are disinclined to go along with the system? Can you point to a single... Yeah, I, I think it would be desperation would be one thing. I mean, if you are not in a position where you feel that it personally affects you or you are worried that it is going to personally affect you, I think you're more willing to go along with the system. And the opposite of that is if you are in very dire straits where you are completely at the mercy of the system as it exists, you might actually desire that system because it's the difference between life and death. It's the kind of people who are probably people who are middle class but slipping down that ladder are probably the most likely to to be the ones who would try to find other ways around it. And who would be the most likely to Oh, you say you think the they're looking for ways around they're looking for ways around the system. Um yeah. I'm I'm sitting here and I'm thinking to myself the difference between the two classes, those who go along with the system and they're not concerned by it. And those who are concerned say I got to protect myself. I think it's the difference between people who have savings and people who don't have savings. Yeah. yeah you have savings. Right. There. Look, I got some wealth. I've got to protect this stuff. Yeah. Um, that means I got to turn it into gold or platinum or diamonds or something that where I can preserve the value after they get rid of the cash. Well, people who don't have any savings, what do they care? Right. Yeah. Exactly. People who are comfortably middle class and have had some savings and are, and are happy about the future probably will go along with the system. But those who are, have have that that exact same circumstance, but are unhappy about their future prospects will be looking for ways out of it. And I mean, I can uh, attest to this. After the 2008 Lehman collapse, 
uh, I had a huge uptick in people interested in my website looking for financial information. Yep. People who just a year or two ago didn't know or didn't care anything about the you know the housing bubble or any of that information suddenly become very interested in it when it yep. starts putting them in financial jeopardy. So I think yep. it's the same principle writ large on society. I can give you the reverse of that same principle or give you a, a, another example of that same principle. It's not reverse. It, I used to publish a magazine called The Anti-Shyster and started in 1990 and continued publishing and went on. Ultimately, I published until 2012. But every year, it grew by 50 to 100 percent. Now, it started out next to nothing, so it didn't amount to anything for the first couple of years. But we got to coming into 1996, I was coming into a situation where if it doubled again in 1996, I was going to make a bunch of money. I wasn't going to be Citizen Kane and the rest of that sort of thing, but I was going to be making a good living just working out of my little condominium. And I, 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 my office was the second bedroom in the little condominium and the rest of that sort of thing. Hey, I, I would have been a happy camper. The business that had been growing steadily by 50 to 100% per year for six years, basically, 96, we came around to 96, it crashed and business dropped by half. And the first thing I thought is, oh, my God, what have I done? What have I done? All right? Then I found out that newspapers and news magazines had also lost, I can't recall, it was something like 15% of market share. People did, and then I found out that the mainstream news programs, CBS, NBC, ABC, Evening News, they all lost 5% of market share. And people didn't stop listening to CBS to listen to NBC. They stopped listening. What happened? Mm. Clinton opened the doors to easy credit in 96. Yeah, yeah. And as long as their homes and everything else were in jeopardy, they were interested in publications. They were interested in news in general. Mm. But once they got a new supply of toys, interest just absolutely folded up. And I knew then if you could hang on long enough until the market turned around and people became frightened because someone was taking their toys then I could start making money again, and I couldn't hang on that long as things, mm-hmm. things turned out. But uh, mm-hmm. it was a lesson for me. I know yeah. they're interested in the kind of information people like you and I are fixated on. They're interested as long as someone's taking their toys away, their homes, their cars, whatever. But as soon as happy days are here again, get some credit into the system, easy money, and it's like a drug yeah. It's like someone gave a shot of sugar to a to a diabetic, just injected sugar into their bloodstream. All of a sudden, yeah, buddy, we're happy. Mm-hmm. No point to reading, no point to understanding anything. So blah, well, blah. That was my we can experience. lament that fact, but it is a fact of human yeah. nature that largely. Is. So um I, I don't know how to how how best to counteract that. And and that's of course exactly why you see a lot of fear mongering in the alternative media as well, because hey, if we can make people afraid, then they'll be interested. So it's hard it's to find a, anything that sells yeah. better than fear. Yeah. And it's and it's a it's a frustrating insight. I mean, there are some people and I could name them and you'd be aware and you you would recognize the name. Their fundamental their fundamental product is fear. Mm-hmm. Fear, fear, fear. Sell, sell. Oh my gosh, sky is falling, sky is falling, and people buy it, people buy it, and keep on buying it. Um I had a point that it was gonna go with that and I've uh, 
Because, <laughs> here, luckily, we're running up on a break. <laughs> that's exactly right. I'll have I'll have a commercial break here, and perhaps I'll remember whatever it was I was gonna I was gonna talk about with the fear thing in the first place. Let's take a break for some commercial announcements. I'm Alfred Addis. I'm here with James Corbett from thecorbettreport.com, and we will be back in just a moment. Please stay tuned. by mistake during World War II and suppresses your immune system and prevents blood clotting. Don't expose your body to risk when you can use a natural inflammation and pain reliever called Extra Strength Pain Relief by Apothecary Herbs. Discover the power this formula has with Salicin to enter the system in 60 seconds to work hard and relieve pain for 12 hours. Whether it's arthritis, sports injury, or flu, you can relieve aches, pain, and swelling with our Extra Strength Pain Relief Formula. Call Apothecary Herbs now, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971 when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. I'm Alfred Addis, here with our guest, James Corbett from the Corbett Report. And I had my my little notion, uh, whatever it was that I'd forgotten, came back to me while we were on break. And what I wanted to ask you is, as a prolific commentator on what's going on in the world, observer, commentator, do you find yourself facing a dilemma where you've got to report things that are negative, and you're reporting warnings and dangers, you find yourself faced with a, a kind of a dilemma. How far can you go without selling fear? What's an, what's an appropriate warning and what's too much? Mm, absolutely. I mean, it is something, because as we've just discussed, there is that, that phenomenon that people who are contented and happy and don't, don't think that there's anything to worry about will 
go about their daily business and don't care, and they will respond to fear triggers. So the obvious the obvious uh, uh, thing that occurs to someone who's putting out media is, oh, well, then we've got to make people afraid. We've got to put yeah. out a sensational headline. So there's always that, that, that balance that you have to do between uh, uh, letting people know that, oh, you should be concerned about this, but not doing it in a way that, you know, freak out and, and panic and sell the farm and, you know, go crazy about it. And it is don't jump out the window. We're, we're just telling you. Yeah, yeah there may exactly. Be don't don't here, jump out you... the window, window yet. Um, yeah. So, I mean, it's something that I confront on a daily basis. I mean, even something as simple as titling a YouTube video. Yeah. I mean, how do you get a title that is effective, that, that's interesting, that that gets people's attention, but isn't, you know, trying to sell fear or trying to panic people or trying to get them just to click for the sake of clicking? I mean, it is something you have to think about all the time, and I, yeah. I don't know if I do that balance any better or worse than anyone else, but I do think about it. Yeah, I know. I don't think you can – I don't even know where the line is exactly. You're, you're looking and say, where's that yeah. line? There's got to be a yeah. line here. I don't want to cross the line, but where is it? Here we've got another article as well. It's It's just – Saudi Arabia launches military exercise with 20 nations. This goes back uh, eight or 10 days ago, announcing North Thunder or whatever. Where do we stand? Are, are the 350,000 troops that are allegedly lined up in the north side of Saudi Arabia, are they really likely to invade Syria? Well, no, because there's a cessation of hostilities that's just been declared, right? Um, hmm. Well, Christmas. Well, yeah. I, I I mean, let's look at it this way. Last week, there was mu news that there was this Munich peace ag agreement that had been reached, that there was going to be a ceasefire. And it just didn't happen. It just never happened. It never materialized. No one stopped fighting. And now we've got this new declaration. Okay, this Saturday, it's going to all cessation of hostilities this Saturday, except, of course, for ISIS and except for Al-Qaeda. And, oh, yeah, except for other terrorist groups as vaguely denominated in this Security Council resolution. So we don't even really know yet um, who this is supposed to apply to, let alone who they'll try to apply this to, let alone how it will actually be applied. So take it for what it's uh, worth. But at any rate, they have come to some sort of diplomatic understanding that there's going to be an attempt at some sort of ceasefire. I don't, you know, as you can tell from my tone, I don't think it's going to hold very long, if at all. So um, I don't know if there's going to be an outright invasion, a full-fledged invasion, but there certainly is enough tension there to make it at least a possibility, a viable yeah. possibility, because uh, I, I, things have changed so much in the last several months now with uh, the P4 plus one, the Russia, Iran, Iraq, uh, Hezbollah, and whoever else, <laughs> Lebanon, <laughs> no, Syria, well, of course, Syrian government, um, are, are now joined together and have been having some success in pushing back all of the terrorist groups, not just ISIS. And that's really worrying Saudi Arabia. Saudi Arabia has been on a, on a junket lately with their foreign minister going around trying to drum up war and now talking about having nukes and uh, all of this crazy talk that's coming out right now, I think is a sign they're getting pretty desperate. And add to that the pressure on the Saudi Arabian reserves from the falling oil prices and the fact that they've quadrupled uh, arms imports in the last couple of years and cannot continue the, the military expen expenditures indefinitely given their declining revenues. And that puts another impetus on them to do something sooner rather than later. So I, I don't know. It's, it's, a, it's a powder keg. It really is, and a, a worrying one. How long can the coalition of 
soldiers and equipment that Saudi Arabia has put together, 350,000 men allegedly, and I don't know, thousands of tanks perhaps and hundreds of aircraft. How long can they hold that together before they finally just say, okay, we're going home? It's an excellent question, and I wish I had an answer for you, an informed answer. I really don't. I don't know what their, their military expenditure on that force is. I don't know how it relates to their reserves and what they might have up their sleeve. So I really couldn't even give an informed guess on that. But I would assume it would not be – I mean, we're not talking in the multiple years here. We're no. talking if they're going to make a move, it's going to come this year, probably sooner than later. So – um, but uh, but I think what I see materializing right now from the propaganda that we're we're getting is that the most likely solution, quote unquote, to this crisis that the uh, the, the the sort of NATO back powers are looking at right now is the partition of Syria. They want to try some sort of partition deal where, okay, Assad, you can keep this part of the country, but this part of the country is going to be governed by you know this coalition over here. They're going to try some sort of partition move as the diplomatic solution to this. And I think that's where the momentum is heading. We've seen both Kerry and now Netanyahu coming out in the last couple of days talking about this. Well, that's actually perhaps the only way to get out of this. They're going to try to give everybody a piece of the pie, <laughs> except for Mr. Assad. He may hang on to a piece, but he's going to lose a piece. That's Everyone else will kind of gain a piece. Um Part of the reason I'm asking about how much longer they can hold this together, they put Northern Thunder together under the pretext that this was a military exercise. But if I understand correctly, the exercise was only supposed to last for 18 days. It was supposed to end on or about the end of February. So if they try to hold the military together or try to hold this this force together, 350,000 men, after the exercise was scheduled to end, then they've lost their pretext, and they have to admit, oh, actually, this is an invasionary force. This isn't an exercise. We're actually preparing to invade. Do you agree? That that all sounds like it checks out. From what I understand, this exercise is supposed to go till March 10th. So I right, agree March with 10th. your assessment. All right, that yeah, might be. Yeah. They, even so, they've got their own at that after on March 11th. This is uh, this is an invasionary for an invasion. An invasionary force that's no longer an exercise, um, which implies that if they're going to move next two weeks, if they're they're really going to invade, it implies that it happens in the next two weeks. I've got an article here from Zero Hedge, and the headline is Road to World War III. Turkish army enters Syria after second day of shelling as Saudi warplanes arrive. And then I've got another one. There's uh, a headline and says Russian Prime Minister warns U.S. and Arab countries invading Syria will start new world war. <clears throat> will we really see a world war if these countries, if Turkey and the Saudi coalition actually invade Syria? Does that constitute a world war? Does world war have to include Russia and the United States? and uh, France and uh, the European Union and NATO and China. I mean, is it a world war, or are we threatened with a regional war, perhaps a Middle East war? Is world war hyperbole? Well, it would be, by definition, a regional war at that point, and uh, it it really kind of already is, but it's kind of more like a proxy war at this point. If it was an honest, uh, you know, boots-on-the-ground, all-out invasion, then it would be an out-and-out regional war, and it would be difficult to imagine... Given the diplomatic stances, given how everyone's lined up, 
unless some very cool heads prevail, it would be difficult to imagine how that would not become very quickly the very type of powder keg like the Balkans in 1914, where, yes, this one incident in this one place involves these parties, but those parties are connected to those other parties, and those other parties are connected to those other parties. It's a very similar situation. So it is a very real possibility. I'm, I'm not saying it is going to happen, but it really could happen because of the way Russia is lined up with Iran or annex Syria, and because of the way NATO is lined up with the uh, the Gulf states, with Israel on the other side of that, all of those tangling alliances come into play if if someone does declare war in a formal sense with boots on the ground. So I I don't I don't underplay that. I think it's a very real possibility. Right. What about Israel? Have they been have they benefited from? The turmoil in Syria, does it diverted attention that might otherwise, hostilities that might otherwise be directed at Israel? Are they instead focused in uh, on Syria? Uh, and is Israel getting a break right now, or are they in more danger than ever before? Uh, actually, uh, not really. Uh, I, I think this is, surprisingly, exactly the plan, um, which sounds surprising, but if you go back to 1982, there was a, uh, a foreign policy document uh, that was written by Oded Yunon. It was published by the Association of Arab American University Graduates, but it was uh, originally in, um, in, in uh, some sort of foreign policy journal in Israel. It was uh, called the Strategy for Israel in the 1980s, because this, again, was written in 1982. It's uh, informally known as the Zionist Plan for the Middle East, and in that it talks explicitly about breaking up Iraq and Syria um, along uh, ethnic and sectarian lines, exactly as Iraq really fundamentally has been broken up into three states on a functional, practical level. It's uh, now Sunni, Shia, and Kurd. And exactly as is happening in Syria. And that document talks in some explicit detail about the way that uh, Syria would be broken up into its Alawite and uh, Sunni and, and Shia uh, versions, it, it's, and the Druzes were, were uh, mentioned in there as well, in that document. Uh, it talks about it quite explicitly, the way Syria would be broken up. Now, here we are a few decades later, and that that is uh, not only what's happening by de, de facto, but what now, as I say, Kerry and Netanyahu are now saying, well, this is the solution to the crisis. We're going to have to break up Syria. So uh, rather than some sort of you know calamity for Israel, I think it's exactly what they've had as an explicit foreign policy goal for, for decades now. Well, the Middle East countries are largely a creation of Europe. All right? They just drew boundaries here, there, and wherever were convenient from the European perspective, and they divided on some of those some of those lines divided one culture. Uh, and it was separated. And half of it was in one country and half in another country. And there were other cultures. And the point I'm getting to is, is it really a chore to break the Middle East down based on religion and culture? Or isn't that a natural fragment point, division point? Just It's, it's easy. It's like tapping a diamond. If you hit it in exactly the right place, it'll just break for you, you know, beautifully. Um is it that hard to break the break away the Sunni from the Shia or the Alawites? 
Yeah, well, no. I mean, you're right. There are sort of natural divisions there, and mm -hmm. the, the borders that have been drawn have nothing to do with those natural divisions because those borders were drawn largely, the way the Middle East looks today, was largely drawn in boardrooms in Paris in 1918, mm -hmm. uh, in 1919, in the peace talks. I mean, that's where the modern Middle East was really shaped, and it took these, you know, the, the, these tyrannical dictators, the, the, the Saddam Husseins and others, to unite countries that otherwise aren't really countries, they're countries in name only, and uh, to unite them under a sectarian regime of various sorts. And so when you start toppling those, then yes, this is what's going to happen precisely because you have these unnatural divisions, plus you have all the other players at the table who are fueling it and egging, egging it on for their own regional power ambitions. Mm -hmm. So uh, in a way, yes, you can say that this is kind of the natural way that this is going to play out because of the way that it was unnaturally forced back in the early part of the 20th century. I mean, there's an historical reason why it is fracturing the way it is right now. And that historical reason itself was an intrusion into the, into the natural politics of the, the region. And once this division, a new, a new division takes place, and people are allowed to set up their own countries based on common culture, common religion, whatever. Would that mean that the Middle East is likely to stabilize to any significant degree, or is it always going to be a hotbed? As long as it remains strategically important, primarily for its oil resources, but for other reasons now, for pipeline routes and for um, uh, access to uh, the Straits of Hormuz and other key uh, access points like that, as long as it has that strategic interest, there will be military interest in the region. So you don't anticipate this peace peace is not in the Middle East future, uh, other than maybe a few years at a time, but yeah. long term, we're going to see instability and probably violence. Yep, until there is a fundamental change in uh, in oil would be the, the first thing that would have to change, and also the way that things are shipped through the world. So, no, not anytime soon, not anytime in the foreseeable future. We've got about 45 seconds left. Give you one more quick question. Russia bans U.S. corn and soybean imports because of GMO contamination. Is Russia really interested in food safety, or is this some way, is this ban uh, some sort of a slap at the United States? I would like to think that it has some basis in people actually being concerned about uh, about the the health of what they're eating, um, and certainly there have been indications that the the Russia has been one of the countries that that really is uh, interested in this and in taking action. Uh, China as well, and it is interesting that that also plays into the political geopolitical tensions between the U.S. primarily and these countries. But uh, it may be one of those things where. Canada and England and other countries that are in the back pocket of the U.S. will not talk about these things. They'll, they'll be happy to overlook them, but that countries that are in the enemies list will, will take a look at it. And I think that might be an aspect of what's going on. At any rate, it's good for the people of Russia. It's good for the people yeah. of China that they're not ac accepting these monstrosities. It may even be good for the people of the United States if ultimately enough pressure can be brought to bear by some countries rejecting GMO, or maybe we have less of it here. In any case, we're out of yeah. time, James. Thank you for being on the program. I always appreciate talking to you. Ladies and gentlemen, we appreciate you listening, and I hope you'll tune in again next week. 
I'll be back with Melody tomorrow. In the meantime, with the good Lord bless you, me, Melody, Frank, the producer, and James Corbett. Bye-bye. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water. have a heart condition and emergency rooms and medical doctors are not an option, you need our emergency heart attack kit. Five concentrated liquid formulas enter the system in 60 seconds to protect your heart muscle, strengthen heartbeat, increase circulation, relieve pain, and make breathing easier. When seconds count, you want all the help you can get with our emergency heart attack kit. Easy to use and portable in a one-pound compact kit for your purse, briefcase, or car. Call Apothecary Herbs now for your emergency heart attack kit, toll-free, 866-229-3663. That's 866-229-3663. International callers dial 704-875-8010 or order online at the 3 wsthepowerherbscom Studies have shown that the farm soil we get our vegetables from is dead, meaning it is depleted of minerals. Sulfur is a mineral. Sulfur has been depleted from the soil, which means most people have been depleted of sulfur. Sulfur has been found to transport oxygen throughout the body. You need oxygen. You need organic sulfur. American Voice Radio Network has organic sulfur. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com and then to the Superstore to order your organic
Organic Sulfur. It's your choice. Do you want to feel better or not? Don't forget to tune in to the Sulfur Hour Plus One on AmericanVoiceRadio.com, Thursdays, 6 p.m. Pacific.
right, good evening all. This is the Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Stephan. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. It is Wednesday, February 15, 2017, about eight minutes after 8 p.m. Pacific time. If that's when it is where you're at, we're live. 855-355-1955 is the call-in number. If you want to uh, call in, that's the way. If you want to just... Uh, Maybe participate a different way. Go to our website, theamericanvoice.com or americanvoiceradio.com. And uh, go to the chat room, and that's how you can do that. All the instructions are there. So if you can't get in now, uh, you know. Anyhow. All right, let's see. Uh, Let's see here. Uh... Oh, now they're saying that... Uh, I see in the... Uh... Oh, wait a minute. I don't know if uh, they're talking about the TuneIn or what. The TuneIn app is becoming unstable for somebody out there. I don't know. If it is you too, you know, let me know. I'm interested to hear that kind of stuff because that's been a good app for a long time and, uh, you know, I'm sure they can mess it up. Or it could get hacked. Hey, we got hacked. We got hacked first time. Since 1998, our one of our two of our streams actually got got hacked. That's right. Yep, a regular old hack. Somebody got in, got the password, and got in that stream and started running J.C. Penny ads. Oh yeah. So we fixed it pretty quick, but it's just odd, you know. After all these years, it's the first time that's ever happened. Now I've had. Well, I've had websites. I don't know if they were hacked, but they were uh, infected with viruses and brought down. I've had that happen, but this is the first time I've ever had a stream actually hacked. So hopefully that won't happen again anytime soon, but if it does, I guess we'll just deal with it. All right, where are we here? News, 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 huh? Oh, here we go. Oh, before I get to this, you know, I just read something here. Where is this? What do you think about this? This is from the Wall Street Journal. So this isn't some, you know, little publication. This is the headline. Spies keep intelligence from Donald Trump. Decision to withhold information underscores deep mistrust between intelligence community and president. Well, you know what? Every last one of those stinking spook scumbag bastards over there at any of these intelligence agencies should be fired. You know, whether you like the president or you don't like the president. See, I wouldn't even want them doing this to an Obama. And I despised Obama as president. But, you know, uh, he is the president, whether I like it or not, and he should have intelligence information. And if they're going to decide to withhold it, then they need to be fired and probably put in prison for a little while, you know, before they go to their new job somewhere else. I'm serious, man. If I was the president... I would I would sit these people down and I wouldn't tweet them. I would lock them in a room and I would tell them, "Listen, every one of you, every one of you 
you pull this crap one more time, I find one more leak and you're all going to prison. So you better start being your brother's keeper or you'll be spending time in prison with your brother, whether you did it or not. And it won't be a regular prison. It'll be one of them prisons in India or Pakistan that we render you to. I don't like the intelligence community. They're a bunch of backstabbing little scumbags who they don't do anything for this nation. They don't collect any useful information that you couldn't go get yourself somewhere else. Okay? What they do is they gather information so they can blackmail people, so they can extort people, so they can find out how to overthrow governments, so they can find out who's a weak link in a chain of command, so they can go bribe them or blackmail them, so they can overthrow some other government somewhere. And usually they are always governments elected by the people, because all the little dictatorship tin pan Banana republics that are out there were all set up by U.S. intelligence agencies. That's what these people are. So if you start thinking, oh, they're respectable people. No, they're not. They're dirtbags, okay? These are dirtbags that, w- that are the most dirty trick scumbags that ever walked the face of the earth, okay? That's what U.S. intelligence operatives are. They've been spying on the American people forever. Even when it was illegal. They didn't give a damn about the law. What about the Vietnam War? Huh? They spied on all the anti-war protesters, which were <laughs> lightweights compared to what these dirtbag paid rioters of George Soros are doing today. Oh, but are they being investigated? Oh, no. Because if they were, George Soros and his little boy meaning his son, would both be in prison. Preferably in Russia somewhere. I don't even want those two dirtbags in a prison in the United States. You know why? Because the way things work in this country, those dirtbags would still have access to all their money and they'd be buying gangs in the prison. Better to send them off to Putin and say, you know what, have at it with this guy. Put him in a gulag by himself out in Siberia or something. Preferably right next to Chernobyl so you don't have to worry about him for too long. I think this this right here is treason. To keep intelligence from the president. And then, of course, the media will say, well, huh, boy, this is one uninformed, stupid president. He don't know what's going on anywhere. Oh, really? Well, that's maybe because you're scumbag communists within the intelligence community won't give him any information. Anyway, uh, it just pisses me off because you know what? Like I said, I really, really despised Barack Hussein Obama Obama as president. And I despised his wife, too. And his two little gutter rat you know, spawns, too, there. All of them. I didn't like any of them. But, you know what? They were elected. They were... He was the president. I didn't like it, but I had to live with it. But, you know what? Tell you what. These little dirtbags out here doing all these riots, 
you know what? You better pray to God you don't succeed. I'm serious. You better, all you liberals out there, right now, you better pray that this thing to, oh, overthrow Trump and, you know, ruin his presidency and get him kicked out of there. You better pray to God it doesn't work. Because if it does work, you think you know how to riot, you wait till I get started. And I will get started. If that happens, okay, game's on, punk. Let's see. Let's see how tough you are in your little black mask. I'll rip that black mask off and shove it up your behind so far it comes out your nose. Snowflake. I'll tell you what, and there's a lot of other people feel the same way. So you better pray to God that this all calms down and people just let this guy try to do what he's, you know, trying to do. Hey, and if it makes the country better, you're going to complain? Really? And if it doesn't make the country better, hey, in four years, guess what? You get to go out and try to steal another election. I mean, it's it's just, I am so sick of watching these riots and these protests and these scumbag liberal communists out there. Some of them are too stupid to even live the stuff they say. And they think they're they're tough guys or something because everybody's sitting there going, what a bunch of idiots, instead of going out there and busting their heads open and letting what little bit of brains they got flow out onto the sidewalk and then squish it like a dead fish. I'm telling you, man, I I think the communists really want a race war. A class war. Any kind of war they can get between Americans. Well, you better pray it doesn't happen. Because you know what? I don't think a whole bunch of you liberal snowflakes actually got guns. Because, you know, you're against guns, remember? You're a gun-free zone. Well, I'm not. I got lots of guns and lots of ammo. And I'll be more than happy to share it with you if this thing goes south. Matter of fact, you know, I'm not stupid. I'm going to go look for gun-free zones because, for one, I know, hey, this is pretty good. This is safe. And I know that's where you're at. Yeah. Hey, let's think about this a little bit, huh? So do you really still think it's a good idea to keep throwing rocks through windows and punching people in the head and get riots going? Do you? Do you really still think that's a good idea? And let me tell you something, man. When I lived on the street, I spent a lot of time in urban areas. Want to know why? Well, because that's where all the free stuff's at. Okay? As a homeless hitchhiker, free stuff is good. And the urban areas is where all the free stuff is at. You know why all the blacks live in urban areas? Same answer, because that's where all the free stuff's at. Well, spending a lot of time there and living in a rural area, you know, growing up and, well, as rural as you can be in New Jersey, but, you know, then living in a rural area out here. So I've lived in rural areas and urban areas, and I'm going to tell you something. These tough guy, loudmouth punks that live in the inner cities, 
with all the tattoos and they think they're real tough and boy they got big mouths and they shoot their guns sideways never hit anything except little girls and innocent bystanders these guys are you know what they're like they're like arabs okay lots of noise but when it comes down to a war into a real fighting okay this is it you know this is to the death here we go they will always lose because they are stupid. Okay? They're dumb. They're all sizzle and no steak. And now, does that count for everybody? No. Okay, there's always exceptions to the rule. I am talking about the majority. Just like there's wimpy people that live in rural areas too, okay? And stupid, wimpy people that live in rural areas, okay? That's just not the majority. Speaking of which, you know, when I talk about urban areas, well, I'm talking about cities. Well, have you ever heard the the term uh, mega cities? Well, you're going to start hearing it because... (laughs) The military has come up with a plan. Yeah, oh yeah, a plan. Woohoo! They're gonna, um, well, they're gonna deal with the mega cities. That's right. Where is this here? I'm looking for this here. I'm uh, hang on here. I'll find it. I'll find it. It won't take long. Let's talk about amongst yourselves for a second here. Oh, well, I'll find it during the break, and we'll do it next next time, next uh, half hour. Uh, I think I'm coming down with a cold anyway, folks. I got a headache and a toothache, and I just kind of feel generally a little bit crappy right now, but we'll certainly be able to make it to the end of this show, that's for sure, but uh, let's see here. Where is it? Is that one? No, that's. The fake news. Okay, here's something fun. Yeah, the news media. I love seeing this. I mean, this just warms my heart. They're whining like little girls. Because after likening Trump to Hitler, journalists are upset. They're not getting called on for questions. (laughs) I hope he freezes them out. Just like Obama froze out. You know, not one of them complained at all that Obama never asked a conservative publication anything. Nope, never came up. No criticisms of Obama. Members of the mainstream media were left fuming this afternoon after President Trump refused to call on any of their organizations for the third straight press conference. Oh, I hope he keeps it up. I hope he never gives them another question for the next four years. Yet many of these same news organizations have likened Trump to the Taliban, and Adolf Hitler floated false rumors about his use of a Russian prostitute and accused his administration being pro-slavery. After Trump avoided calling on MSNBC during today's presser with Benjamin Netanyahu, MSNBC's Peter Alexander complained that the conservative journalists he did call on didn't ask real questions. Oh, really? You mean like asking Obama? 
What band he's going to have at the White House next party? You mean like that? That was striking. What was striking, Alexander said, was that President Trump again called on a series of more conservative-leaning news organizations, which didn't allow for any real questions, trying to zero in on this issue of Mike Flynn, the now former National Security Advisor. Hey, guess what, loser? It's a dead story. The guy's not the National uh, uh, you know, Security Advisor anymore. He resigned. End of story. We can't speak for Trump, but one reason he may not be in a rush to give MSB and MSNBC more airtime is that they seem intent on using it to liken him to Adolf Hitler. On Trump's inauguration day, MSNBC's Rachel Madcow likened Trump's election to Hitler's rise. Her colleague, Chris Matthew, you know, the little dribbler down his leg when Obama got elected? Yeah, that's how happy he was. Is that disgusting or what? Describe Trump's inaugural address as Hitlerian. Matthews also mocked Trump's family, likening them to the Russian imperial family, the Romanovs. Yeah, and don't don't miss the secondary dig there. The Romanovs were all killed. By the communist revolution. Okay? You don't think Trump recognizes what this little dribbler had to say? Chris the faggot Matthews? Matthews, uh, let's see. He's so fond of this metaphor, he now uses it all the time. And I'm wondering why they don't call on me. Uh Uh-huh. CNN reporters were likewise angry and not being called on during today's Trump's presser. In the last three news conferences, Wolf, all of the questions to the American news to the American news media have been handled by conservative press. And I think, Wolf, there's no other way to describe it but the fix is in. <laughs> CNN's Jim Acosta vented. Yeah, well, anybody working at CNN ought to know about the fix being in, huh? Uh, Evented during a post-press conference interview with Wolf Blitzer. So now, the media, CNN and MSNBC, are so lame, they have now reverted to interviewing each other. Boy, now there's news. Uh, hi, I'm a journalist. Uh, you're a journalist, so what do you think about this? Oh, really? Well, this is what I think about this. And, ooh, well, wow, listen. Hey, any more journalists we can interview? Hey, guess what? You're not the story, dirtbag. Nobody gives a damn what you think. Haven't you figured that out yet? Or what? Do, do CNN's ratings have to go down so low that nobody's actually watching before they get the clue that nobody cares what they think? People want the news. They don't care what these talking head pieces of crap liars have to say or what they think. Just tell me the news story. This White House, this president does not want to answer questions. (laughs) Oh, man, and this is after Obama. We didn't get a straight answer out of that guy for 10 years. He never gave a straight answer. Well, how'd you vote on that? Well, I was present. You know how many present votes he had in the Senate? 
Like all of them. Because you know why? He don't want to answer any questions about where do you stand? What do you do? You know, what do you think? No, no. Uh uh. I'm the transparent man. I'm invisible. I don't have any positions. Just elect me president. Hey, I got an idea. You can find out what I'm all about after I'm elected. Wow. That sounds a lot like Obamacare, doesn't it? Well, that's about what we got. He doesn't want to answer questions, critical questions, about his associates, his aides, contacts with the Russians. You know, and his national security advisor being run out of this White House on a rail. <laughs> Boy, they, what a bunch of drama queens. CNN's John King echoed his colleague complaining that the conservative journalists were not asking Trump tough questions. Well, it would be nice. It would be nice if the conservative outlets the president is calling on would ask him tough questions, King lamented. And instead of actually trying to curry favor with the president, they might do him a favor by letting him answer these questions because until he answers, until he answers these questions, this story is not going to go away. Oh, except, you see, the story can keep running forever on CNN because nobody's watching. Nobody cares anymore what you have to say. Everybody knows your fake news. Okay? You're a propaganda outlet for the communist revolution. Everybody knows that now. So you go ahead and keep the story going. Keep talking in your echo chamber while the world passes you by. I think that might be good. But why Why might Trump be ignoring CNN? We already know about MSNBC calling him Hitler, call, painting his family like the Romanovs who were all murdered by the communist revolution. Nah. Folks, is this at all demonstrating to you that these people are exposing themselves? Now, I'm calling them communists. I'm calling the Democratic Party the communist revolution, all right? But I'm not just making this up. They're doing it themselves. You see, when they say Trump's a fascist, and you're the opposite of that, huh? Yeah, that's right. That makes you a communist. Trump's a Hitler. You oppose that, right? Yes. That makes you a Stalin, a communist. Right? I mean, really. So Trump himself explained his frustration in an early press conference when he noted that CNN ran a report about a rumor, since discredited, that he had used the services of a prostitute during a trip to Moscow. Trump even complimented the New York Times, which is also a bunch of scumbags over there, but, I mean, he complimented them for at least passing on that particular discredited obviously fake story but hey don't let the truth get in the way cnn has since stuck by its decision to publish the uncorroborated discredited fake news story yeah there's hey they're sticking by it hey abc's matthew dowd went so far as to claim today that Trump is shutting down the First Amendment by not calling on liberal media outlets during these press conferences. Oh, really? So only when liberals speak 
is it protected by the First Amendment? When everybody else speaks, no, they should shut the hell up because uh, they don't have any First Amendment. Only communists have First Amendment rights, right? Well, I was struck by, when you look at this, this is two democracies, two important democracies in the world, and basically the President of the United States is shutting down part of the First Amendment by not taking questions that are going to be in any way antagonistic to this. Oh, but that's not quite true. We'll find in a second. What might Trump have against ABC? Well, Dowd himself was, has accused Trump of pushing legislation that plays to radical fear, no, racial fears on his base. On ABC's political show, The View, hosts have likened Trump to the Taliban, claimed his administration wants to bring back slavery, and said his approach to the media mirrors a dictatorship. So, who did Trump call on today? Well, he called on the Christian Broadcasting Network. Wow. That's got to piss off the communist, atheist, Satan-worshipping bastards that are going to hell. Boy, that's really got to make them mad. And he called on townhall.com. Now, keep in mind, both of these news organizations have run plenty of negative Trump stories. Town Hall's two most well-known pundits, Katie Pavlich and Guy Benson, were both outwardly opposed to Trump during the Republican primary. But one thing they haven't done, you see, this is the difference between legitimately opposing Trump's policies or agenda or whatever. You know, hey, I get disagreements. You want to do things one way, he wants to do things another way. Okay, that's fine. You can complain about it. You can point out why you think he's wrong and why you think you're right. There's nothing wrong with that. I can disagree or agree. I, I That's what discourse is about. But you see what those town hall, while they were opposed to Trump and have run negative stories about him, what they didn't do was publish anti-Trump fake news and or compare him and his family to history's most infamous mass murderers. See, that's what they haven't done. Would you call on somebody? No, honestly. Would you play nice with somebody who basically compared your family to one of history's royal families that were killed by the very organization that these people are a part of and supportive of, which is the worldwide communist revolution? Would you? Would you play nice with them? Would you play nice with somebody who consistently calls you Hitler? Oh, I wouldn't. As a matter of fact, you see me, I'd be like, oh, really? You want to see Hitler? Well, let me tell you something. I'm going to show you what, what you're talking about here. This is what Hitler would do. And they would be rendered to Pakistan. They go to one of those secret CIA prison camps in some godforsaken place around the world somewhere, and they'd never be heard of again. That's what would happen to them if I was president. So you know what? They should count their lucky stars that, uh, hey, Donald Trump's president, and he's he's not quite as uh, excitable as I am. Anyway, I'm going to take a break, and we'll be back in just a bit.
about where your next meal will come from if the power is out for an extended period of time? I'd like to suggest Numana Foods, a family-owned business with a passion for food quality and taste, as well as long-term storage reliability. Numana.com. Check them out for your family's health and security. Food so good tasting and good for you, it can be eaten every day. Standard buckets are GMO-free, contain no aspartame, high fructose corn syrup, autolyzed yeast extract, chemical preserved or soy. You can be confident your Numana meals will be there for you and your family when you need them during an emergency. Numana.com, a nutritionally healthy way to prepare for any disaster. That's Numana.com. N-U-M-A-N-N-A.com.
Food prices have increased over 40%. Energy prices have increased over 20%. Wheat and gas prices have increased over 70%. What's going to be next? Do you see these trends reversing or even stabilizing? All fiat currencies have always failed and collapsed their economies on their way down. The Roman Empire, China, France, Argentina, Finland, Mexico, Russia, Zimbabwe, all tried fiat currency and all collapsed into chaos. Meanwhile, the dollar has lost over 97% of its gold value since 1971, when an ounce of gold was valued at $35. If your assets are in paper, you are in danger. Protect your assets with gold and silver. Visit Discount Gold and Silver Trading at DGSCoins.com. That's DGSCoins.com or call 1-800-375-4188. That's 800-375-4188. Protect yourself and your family. Most people realize their body needs clean water to function properly. Pure is the cleanest water, also known as distilled water. Some frauds pushing fake science and ignorant people repeating their disinformation and half-truths will tell you distilled water leaches minerals from the body. What they fail to tell you is distilled water only attracts and flushes inorganic minerals from your body. These are minerals your body cannot process and can interfere with your proper body functions. Distilled water does flush these inorganic materials from your body and is an effective and natural way to cleanse your body. ABR sells a distiller that distills one gallon every three and a half hours. Go to AmericanVoiceRadio.com, click on the Superstore, go to the distiller, check the pricing and how to order, and watch the video explaining in detail why distilled water is pure water.
box full of bills. Empty gas tank and it's all uphill. Wife the kids, why do we all Frank Report. I'm your host, Francis Steffen. You're listening right here on American Voice Radio Network. Still Wednesday, February 15, 2017, about 847 now, 855-355-1955. You can call in, get your voice on the air, or you can go to the uh, website, theamericanvoice.com, americanvoiceradio.com, avrn1.com, or avrn.tv. Everything you need to know about the network's there. You'll also find a chat room there. Of course, you'll have to use that email that you'll see there if you haven't already got yourself a username, a screen name. And you get to pick it. So you got to email me and tell me what you want your screen name to be. And I'll send it back to you with the uh, temporary password, and then you can get in there anytime you want. It is open 24 hours a day, seven days a week, you know, barring any kind of uh, catastrophes. And you don't have to participate. I mean, you can, because I do check in there, but uh, you don't have to. You can just socialize. You don't even have to. You can just go in there and lurk like so many people are right now. There's just lurking, hardly saying anything. See, now, I can't say I won't go in there and pick on you. If you don't chat enough, but hey, at least you'll be getting some attention. So, there you have it. All right, let's get... Oh, by the way, the uh, song's there. I told you I was going to be playing this band for the rest of the week. That's Blackberry Smoke again. Uh, I really like a lot of their songs, I'm telling you. They do some good covers, too. I I, I haven't decided to play any of those, at least not that I know of, anyway. uh, If they are covers, then I didn't know that, but I don't think they are. But they do some pretty good covers, too, that, you know, I don't really like cover bands that much. I mean, even when they do a good job. And, uh, you know, like, hey, you could look at Led Zeppelin like a cover band, you know. They are. But then again, you know, so are a lot of bands. You know, rock and roll, man, took a lot of took a lot from the blues guys. And uh, sadly... You know, if they ever did give them any credit, they were forced to do so through a court suit, you know, which is sad, you know, because these artists are always whining about how, you can't, you can't give a CD to your friend because he didn't buy it. And if you give it to him and you made a copy on your own computer, that's, that's five, ten bucks we're not getting. And that's not right because this is our trade and our, (laughs) yeah, these are the same guys who stole almost everything they've ever done. From somebody else. Isn't that special? <laughs> Man, I'll tell you. 
what a world, huh? Is this a great country or what? As my co-host would say on Tuesdays. All right, looks like we got a caller. Go ahead, caller. Hey, Frank, it's Sonny. How you doing? Hey, what do you want? Hey, I just missed uh, a little bit after that song break. I like that second song, but I missed, like, kind of what you said there between giving out the contact information and what you were just saying. So forgive me if I'm behind. <laughs> no way. But, I'm uh, not forgiving you. I'm you will be you, get, I, you will hearing, be you will be getting demerits. <laughs> <laughs> I'm hearing uh, bad things about Rince Priebus. Oh well, um, you gee, you know, I mean, uh, why is that a surprise? Shocking, isn't it? Yeah, why is yeah. that a surprise? I mean, for one thing, look, that was one of those picks. Now, I, I've kind of broken my own rule a couple of times, a little bit, not too much, but I said I wasn't going to really criticize Donald Trump for ninety days. And right. uh, you know I, I'm trying to stick to that, and I've kept my mouth shut. And and I, but I gotta say, Rens previous was one of those picks that were like, "Are you kidding me?" But then again, I thought, well, okay, now this is clearly an enemy. Okay, the head of the RNC. Are you kidding me? The, this guy made Trump. The first thing he did was make him sign a a, a loyalty, you know, right. uh, agreement. Third party. You know, yeah. and then and then when Trump won. He didn't enforce it on the other people that he made sign it because it wasn't about like, them. It was about Trump only. And, like, oh, yeah, yeah. let's make it look fair. Everybody has to sign it. Okay, so everybody signed it because they didn't think Trump had a chance. Then he won, and they started breaking their agreements, and previous didn't do anything to them. And right. he should have kicked them out of the yeah. Republican Party is what he should have done. Like he should kick John right. McCain out of the Republican Party right now and take his yeah. little girlfriend <laughs> with him, Lindsey Graham. Yeah, yeah I, was, I was just talking to somebody about that tonight. Yeah, that's amazing. But I, yeah, I think it's time he uh, he rinses Priebus down. So the what? Drain. What bad things have you heard? Come on, spread the rumors. Well, I, Let's heard, go. I heard he's leaking, and I heard he's in. Uh, he's in. Uh, what the Speaker of the House? What's his name? Uh, the Rhino. Ryan. Yeah, Rhino. Ryan. He's in his hip pocket. Paul Rhino. Uh, Rhino. Paul Rhino. Yeah, him. Uh-huh. Yeah. Yeah, and I heard he's he's been leaking some of this stuff too. Well, somebody has. Yeah. Okay, somebody has. And he, yeah, I heard he's been tell, going around telling people they're fired. Trump wants you out of here, you're fired. And the people talk to Trump, and they said, no, that's not the case. <laughs> so he's a he's a little uh, wolf in sheep's clothing. And, you know, I understand that whole thing about keep your, your, you know, your friends close and your enemies closer. And I think maybe that was what he was trying to do, maybe, you know, have a come to Jesus. I think it was, too. I, I think it was, too. Yeah. But, you know, there's another take on that, keep your enemy, you know, keep your friends close, keep your enemies even closer you know that could right. mean like a jail cell next to your office <laughs> that's right you know that's little, where i keep my enemies in a jail cell pet cage next to your desk <laughs> you know i mean kings have always done that they kept their enemies real close down in the dungeon right right under the castle <laughs> or or up in the tower you know there's right. a lot of variations but it all works the same <laughs> you know trump might want to think about that <laughs> yeah he's got to launch him I'd have a lot of these people renditioned to uh, Pakistan myself. Oh, yeah. Yeah, I'm hearing there's a lot of internal uh, people in the State Department, too, that are that are foes, that are well, you know, yeah. working against the administration. Well, let me tell you something. The State Department has been a bed of communism ever since World War II. Right. Okay. I mean, that that is the biggest pack of espionage going on. 
and it always has been. This is not just Obama or Trump or Bush. This has been going on since Roosevelt, that the State Department has been a den of espionage. You know, and the media has covered it all up. Where do you think the hey? Where did the uh, the, what was the Rosenthal's? Where did they work? Oh, yeah. Hello, where did they work? The State Department. Right. You know, I mean, this Bye. goes on and on, right? I mean, it's just it's been you know that whole thing needs to be flushed. I mean, you can't you know yeah, it okay, does. you know like the okay the Department of Education just needs to be shut down and and disbanded. You can't really do that with the State Department, but, I mean, you need to clean house. Forget the swamp, man. You can get to the swamp after you clean up your own house. Yeah, get get, get everybody that's, that reports up to you. Ultimately, you know, take, clean that out and then, you know, start working. Then have them start working on the other stuff so he doesn't have to do it all himself. Yeah, it's a crazy situation, but it's not surprising, really. I mean, it's really not surprising. Like I said, you know, the State Department problem has been building since World War II. Oh, uh, actually, yeah, since since before World War II, actually, because this is why, okay, the State Department is why the United States fell down on the side of communist uh, Stalin rather than Hitler was because of the infiltration of communists through the State Department, thanks to Roosevelt's influence. Right. Yeah, and, um, yeah, that's a good point. And, yeah, you know, I think that the whole, I don't what, what does State Department even mean, anyway? I mean, what, what's their objective, you know? Well, they're supposed to be the ones to deal with, deal with other nations. They're the agency to deal with other nations they're the ones that run all the ambassadors they're the ones that you know they're they're the ones that maintain all the embassies around the world you know that's what they do and they have a legitimate job but they're just not doing it right right they're committing treason i mean that's you know i don't think that's in the job description no i mean i don't know if they get you take the normal oath but that certainly wouldn't fit I don't think that fits in anybody's uh, job description. No, no I don't think so. Treason. Let's see. No, 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 not seeing it. No, no. Let me look under oh. T. No, no treason there. No, <laughs> that's not not allowed. But yeah, I mean, the State yeah. Department is a is a is a pit of espionage, and it always has been. And I mean, vipers. Before you know, before I was ever born, it was like that. You know, and oh yeah, we had yeah we had people over here. Working in like nuclear nuclear plants and stuff that were spies. I think there was some guy from China they found that was actually a spy um, in one of the plants at one point in time. Well, I'll tell you what. Given our uh, given our track record, uh, I don't know any country that sends their spies over here to copy what we're doing as far as nuclear plants is pretty stupid. I'd say because you know it's like yeah, you know that's yeah, that's funny you mention that because I told somebody tonight. I said I, I've I've read that a high percentage of our our nuclear reactors here in the United States are that same GE Mark One. Yeah. That they 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 determined in 1975 had design flaws that could lead to explosions, and they had people quitting over it. Yep. And they did nothing. Yep. Exactly. And they're on fault lines. A whole bunch of these reactors we have, they're along a river, which is over a fault line, which is like okay, earthquake, right? Fault line. Well, and they would tell you, you know, well, yeah, but 
you know, we've got to build these things near a water supply, which is true. Well, but sure. you know, I mean, <laughs> you know, but I mean, uh, nevertheless, you know, look. The bottom line is, you know, I'm pretty sure that there is probably a way that we could have safe nuclear power and that we could properly and safely dispose of the waste or neutralize the waste. Yeah, or I'm, not even produce it to begin with. You know, there's you know, a, I can't remember what it's called, but there's a different type of... Breeder uh, reactor? Uh, breeder reactors, right. They don't produce the waste that these things do. No, they produce fuel. Yeah. Right. That's why they call them breeders because they breed fuel right. instead of waste. Right. I mean, you but can. You know, take... I heard why they wrote that off because they've known about it for a long time. I heard why they wrote that off was because of the negative potential for for getting the spent uranium and going and making weapons with it. <laughs> yeah, like that's a. That, yeah, like they care about that, but <laughs> you know the well, thing. Yeah, they don't have any. Yeah, we don't have any radioactive stuff to go make bombs out of. This is no good. We have to go into <laughs> yeah. another. You know. You know, the thing is, though, I'm sure there's a way we could do it safely. So I don't like to just blanketly say nuclear power is not safe. But I will say this, nuclear power, the way we're doing it, is not safe at all. It's a catastrophe waiting to happen. Right. And I don't mean a disaster or a little catastrophe. I'm talking 100 million people dead, uninhabitable areas for a 1,000 years. That's what I'm talking about, bad times. Yeah. Well, you look at Chernobyl over in Ukraine. You know, it's uh, it's uh, it was in the Soviet Union, so we all considered the same thing. But Chernobyl is actually in Ukraine, and uh, they uh, the pe the people they got some people that still I guess live there, but they got I saw a lady that went through there on a on a really fast motorcycle once uh -huh. and took pictures, went in the buildings and everything. I don't know. I hope she's still alive, but you know, the people just left. I mean, they didn't take their family portraits. They didn't take nothing. They didn't take their kids' toys. They just left that place. And, and the one thing that a lot of people don't know is in uh, the state of uh, Chelyabinsk, they call it an oblast, there were, in the 40s and 50s, there were nuclear disasters there that were uh, umpteen times worse than Chernobyl. I believe and, it. And the people don't, in, that are in that region, up in the northern part of, uh, of Chelyabinsk uh, oblast, they don't live past 50 years. See, that's the thing about and, the Russians' way. They'll try things. Okay, they they right. will try things. Okay, they'll just say, okay, I think this will work, and let's go build it. And you know, most of the time it works out okay. But every right. once in a while, things will go real wrong. You know, you get it wrong with a nuclear power plant, <laughs> you're gonna have a real problem. But well, yeah. they get things done. You see, this is why they have their fifth generation fighters in the air and are producing them, and we're still going, well, we're not quite sure why the F-35 doesn't work right, but, uh, well, you know, we'll just keep piling away money at it, and uh, someday maybe it'll work. But by then, it'll be obsolete. Well, I, I distinctly remember when, uh, when some of the first talk I heard about the F-35 was that they had offshored some of the development of that plane to Turkey. Sure. And the and the people in Turkey that were working on it got hacked. <laughs> yeah. yeah. Well, so, again, you know, it's like reason. yeah. Listen, that's like spying on our nuclear plants. You're probably making a mistake if you you know if if you're hacking in there and going okay, let's see what not to do. Then yeah, all right. But if you're thinking <laughs> right. you want to do this too, you're you, you're probably not thinking straight. Well, you can't do things like that. I mean, you know, I've seen things down to the to the. 
exhaust pipe and and shock level being pirated in other countries where they say, hey, we're going to go over here and take advantage of some cheap labor. And then they, they, they go to a trade show and they find somebody there and they look at this stuff and the, the, the equipment has the same tool marks in it as where their stuff, that's the, the official stuff, was manufactured. <laughs> which means it's like, okay, from 9 to 5 we work for this company and then, <laughs> you know, the rest of the night, we crank out this knockoff stuff using the same equipment. Well, what's really sweet is all the chips, the microchips that we use, are made in Asia. That's really the good thing yeah. is that we don't even make any of that. And, uh, well, there's some concern that maybe, uh, you know, they put a kill switch in these things. Well, hmm. I mean, hey. Sure. Wouldn't you? I mean, wouldn't you? Yeah. I mean, what is I mean, this? Yeah, uh, this, a... this is a question. Maybe they put kill switches in it. Are you kidding me? Maybe. I mean, if I was doing it, I would definitely have kill switches in there. Because, you know, the minute you decide, uh, yeah. hey, guess what? We're going to launch a bunch of F-35s up against your country. Oh, are you now? Boink goes the kill switch, buddy. Yeah, and all of them nose dive into the ocean. You know, I mean, I, I, why wouldn't I do that? That's self-defense. Are you kidding me? This is insane. Right. I mean, it's insane. It's treason. Because nobody in a position that high is that incompetent. So this right. is just yeah, straight. You've got to have a motive. This you, is treason. You've got to have a motive. This is, this stuff is, is not just happenstance. No, it isn't. But you know, you know what? We're out of time. I gotta go. Thanks for calling in, Nunya. You bet. I'll see you in the chat room, and folks, you can go in the chat room too. And uh, as always, thanks for listening. Political, religious, and medical views presented on various shows heard on American Voice Radio Network are not necessarily the views held by the management of American Voice Radio and are not presented as an endorsement by this network. All statements heard on American Voice Radio are the sole responsibility and opinion of those who speak the particular statement. air hostess on board the notorious Lolita Express, the billionaire's private jet at the center of a sex scandal making lurid headlines across the world. Sleazy Wall Street tycoon Jeffrey Epstein used the Lolita Express to ferry a bevy of beautiful young women, among the passengers, former President Bill Clinton and Britain's Prince Andrew. On almost every trip that I did go on, there were young girls around. In this Inside Edition exclusive, Shantae Davies takes us inside the secret world of the Lolita Express, named for the controversial book and movie about a professor's infatuation with an underage girl. Shantae made several trips on Jeffrey Epstein's infamous Lolita Express. She says she was one of several young, attractive women hired to travel around the world, giving massages or yoga instruction to Epstein and his rich and powerful friends. When Shantae was hired, she was a struggling 22-year-old actress. She once played a lingerie model in a movie called Exposed. These designs are really great. Shantae worked as a masseuse 
but says she never had sex with Epstein. Did you ever think that maybe more was going on than simple massages? Looking back, of course. Was there a bed on the airplane? Actually, yes, there was, yeah. On one memorable flight on board a plane like this provided by Air Hollywood, she says she made peanut butter and jelly sandwiches for passengers, including Oscar winner Kevin Spacey, actor Chris Tucker, and even Bill Clinton. They were all flying to Africa on a humanitarian mission, and Jeffrey Epstein had given them the use of his jet. So you never gave <laughs> President Clinton a massage? No, I didn't. Shantae says when the plane landed in Africa, Clinton took her shopping, but she says nothing improper occurred. They had shut down a jewelry store for us, and I helped him pick out a bracelet for Chelsea. It was a jet-set lifestyle for sure, but Shantae says she felt uncomfortable about being part of Epstein's collection of young women. You saw young women around Jeffrey Epstein, and they didn't seem to have regular jobs, and you started wondering, why are they here? Yes, yes. When you look back, are there red flags that you should have seen at the time? Definitely, yeah. Why fly anyone out to be a masseuse when there's plenty of masseuses in the same city that you're in? Epstein served 13 months in prison for soliciting an underage girl for prostitution. Now just looking at the front page headlines the scandal has generated brings Shantae to tears. To have to deal with that and then on top of it defend my character, I'll have children one day, you know, and, and they'll read this. She wonders whether she'll ever be able to live down her time on the Lolita Express. More than anything, I just felt stupid. Yeah, I felt duped. We begin with a story of sex slaves, underage girls, a billionaire, murder, a prince, and at least one former U.S. president. What has been the biggest scandal in the U.K. since World War II has now come to the U.S., and it may involve former President Bill Clinton. The story surrounds this man, billionaire Jeffrey Epstein, who served time in 2008 for soliciting prostitution. That charge came as part of a plea deal. It all began in 2005 when Epstein was investigated after a woman reported that he paid her 14-year-old daughter $300 for sex. Since that initial claim, there have been more than 40 women who have come forward with claims that Epstein is a sexual predator and that he not only abused them, but shared them with famous and powerful friends. Well, flash forward to today, and a lawsuit is underway in Palm Beach, Florida. In that lawsuit, multiple mentions of former President Bill Clinton, who reportedly took multiple trips to Epstein's private island. You see it here. It's called Little St. James. It all happened between 2002 and 2005. Now, according to testimony in the lawsuit, at least one woman on that compound was there unwillingly. She is referred to as Jane Doe 102. She was forced to live as one of Epstein's underage sex slaves for years and was forced to have sex with politicians, businessmen, royalty, people working in academics, etc. Now, to be clear, in 2008, when the plea deal happened, Clinton cut off ties to Epstein, but maybe not. According to the UK Daily Mail, the lawsuit claims that Clinton was friends with an unnamed woman who kept images of naked underage children on her computer, helped to recruit underage children for Epstein, and photographed underage females in sexually explicit poses. Now, while Clinton cut off ties with Epstein, this woman's abuses apparently did not end their relationship, as she was reportedly one of the 400 guests at Chelsea Clinton's 2010 wedding. So what did Bill Clinton know, and what was he a part of? According to the smoking gun, as part of a civil suit filed against Epstein by several of his victims, lawyers for the women floated the possibility of subpoenaing Clinton, since he might well be a source of relevant information about Epstein's activities. 
Now, while Clinton was never deposed, lawyers obtained Epstein's computerized phone directory, which included email addresses for Clinton, along with 21 phone numbers for him, including those for his assistant, Doug Band, according to a court filing. Now, I spoke earlier with Dennis Hoff, the owner of the Bunny Ranch in Nevada, and a man who personally knows Bill Clinton. In fact, Hoff photographed Clinton with two of his Bunny Ranch girls at a charity event in Los Angeles in March of last year. I asked Hoff if with multiple trips to Little St. John Island, if there is any way that Bill Clinton was not aware of these underage girls. I don't believe it's possible. It's amazing that this happened and came to light. Uh, and I don't think Bill Clinton would ever want to be involved with an underage girl. But the fact that it's happening in front of his eyes and that the Secret Service guys uh, didn't do something about it is shocking. 21 phone numbers as well as email addresses uh, that were reportedly belonged to him that were uh, in possession of Jeffrey Epstein. What does that say to you? Well, it says, it says that, that this Epstein is just an absolute disgusting pig. I mean, to be messing around with underage girls, it, it's just unbelievable. Now, I, I give Bill Clinton uh, a, a little bit of a pass because, look, he had other parties after this all happened, and who went to it? Stephanopoulos, Katie Couric, Woody Allen, which is not a, not a good sign, I guess, uh, and Chelsea Handler. Uh, so it could be possible that, he, that Clinton did not know about this, but it's almost hard to believe. And that party that Hoff mentions there was just one party as compared to the multiple visits by Bill Clinton. But this story is much bigger than just former President Clinton. Prince Andrew, the Duke of York, is being connected to this scandal as well. In 2001, Virginia Roberts, a 17-year-old who now claims to have been held as Epstein's sex slave, was introduced to Prince Andrew while staying at a London home. Ms. Roberts claims that she was paid 10,000 pounds as a reward for having sex with Prince Andrew by Epstein. I spoke earlier with RTUK presenter Afshin Ratanzi, and he says that the scandal around Prince Andrew is growing daily. It is definitely building in the uh, infamous British tabloid press who are uh, kind of at war with the royal family uh, in, as the general election campaign here proper begins. It is a kind of old story, but of course we are getting further facts because of the uh, plaintiff in effect. Now in the UK, this story though is a lot larger than just Jeffrey Epstein and Prince Andrew. In fact, it seems like it involves this pedophilia ring that reaches into the highest levels of uh, British society, including presenters with the BBC, including uh, members of parliament. It seems like this is a growing story that involves some 1,400 kids. Can you, can you tell me a little bit about that and the development over the last year into that story? Yeah, around the world, the headlines from Britain tend to, uh, in the international newspapers, seem to make out that Britain is this uh, center of upper-class pedophilia. And uh, indeed, the press here also reflecting uh, those stories. There is a certain degree of frenzy about it, it has, has to be said. But at the same time, the story keeps giving, because uh, the latest, uh, quite apart from the fact that there have been entertainers jailed, quite apart from the fact that uh, close confidants of the powerful uh, have been jailed, uh, top public relations people and so on, now the story seems to be concerning not only uh, pedophile rings, but actually murder and murder so close to the Palace of Westminster itself, the, the so-called Mother of Parliaments. So these cases are ongoing. And, and can you, uh, can you define for, for us the murder charge? That, that goes back to a, a young man who was believed to have died during one of these orgies, is that correct? 
That's right. There's testimony uh, that's now being investigated uh, as to whether uh, Rent Boys, I suppose, uh, the murder of Rent Boys by prominent politicians with people being named. But I think it's very important to emphasize the fact that uh, all the accusations tend to be on people who've died. It's as if the, uh, uh, the police and the Scotland Yard has its own headlines as regards covering up things in this country. Uh, it's so scandalous that even the government here, the Home Secretary, Theresa May, has been criticizing the police federation uh, for the past year or so. And we know that Scotland Yard has been involved in cover-up after cover-up relating to so many different aspects of British civic, civic life. So uh, as regards current serving politicians, every time it, it uh, seems to touch uh, a serving British politician, it, the story seems to dwindle. And again, we talk about stories of uh, past ministers, particularly in Margaret Thatcher's cabinet uh, during the 1980s. Well, as the story grows, it becomes more and more apparent this is not just the story of underage girls. It is the story of a massive pedophilia ring involving some of the most powerful people in the world. Back to Jeffrey Epstein, because when police were investigating Epstein in 2008, they found an Amazon.com invoice for the purchase of sex slave books, such as Slavecraft, Roadmaps for Erotic Servitude, Principles, Skills, and Tools, another called Training with Ms. Abernathy, a workbook for erotic slaves and their owners, and SM101, a realistic introduction. I spoke with Cambys Shambankari, who has spent years covering sex trafficking all around the world, and I asked him what this scandal is demonstrating about the power and the abuse of people from around the world. Uh, you know, the fact is, uh, regardless of what's happening right now with Princess War, uh, Andrew and Epstein, uh, you know, that's a long time that uh, a community of wealthy people, they take advantage of underage uh, children and girls especially. Uh, you know, uh, there was, uh, based on United States uh, government document, there were more than 600,000 cases of uh, uh, human trafficking that more than 60% of them, they were girls that they brought to United States. Uh, Thailand has a, one of the worst cases in this matter that uh, many rich people, they travel to Thailand to have sex with underage children. And uh, in this case, for, uh, for Miss Roberts' case, she was 17, but we are facing in Thailand with something like six years old or five years old kids that they have been used as sex slaves. Well, and it's just, it just seems like this is, um, and as you pointed out, and I think you make a great point, that at the end of the day, um, a lot of the girls who are involved in this particular story, and that's not to minimize the abuse of them, uh, are much older, and yet there are very young children all around the world that this is happening to even as we're speaking. Yeah, that, that's true. But but what what is bothering me about this case is uh, blaming the victim. That that's that we we see a lot, you know. How so? How uh, are they blaming the victim? Uh, they they started to bullying the uh, this woman. When you say that, are you talking specifically about Alan Dershowitz, the attorney who's now been assigned to this case, now taking it exactly, on? Exactly. And she's, a, she's a, you know, uh, Miss Roberts is, is an example of many of those victims that they, they can't step forward. They can't talk about their abusers. They can't talk about what happened to them because uh, they are afraid. 
Well, that person who is now blaming the victims, as you heard there, according to Shambankari, is attorney Alan Dershowitz, who himself has now been accused of having sex with underage girls associated with Epstein. Writing in the Wall Street Journal Law blog that he is the victim of an extortion conspiracy, Dershowitz is calling for the disbarment of the two lawyers who are representing the alleged victims. It's a story we'll continue to follow. She's driven by the power. She's driven to get the power. That is the driving force in her life. She does not answer questions uh, straight out. She is the expert of not saying what she believes. She will run on attacking Republicans and and being the first woman president. And oh, isn't that amazing? Oh, it's a woman. She can walk and talk. The thought here is it's all politics. Parcel out favors to individual groups, whether it's unions here or the farm block there. But she is steeped in controversy, steeped in sleaze. That's why they don't want us to look at her record. I would recommend that Hillary Clinton appreciate that she's not going to be, by any means, the candidate of American women. American women have diverse views on politics, just like men. At the core of almost every one of the investigations we did for eight years, uh, where there were problems, and I mean major problems with the Clinton administration, she was at the core of them. It's part of the Clinton method, which is say what you need to say at, at any given moment and rely on the lack of memory of the American public and the support of the mainstream media to support that lack of memory. The 20-year plan really is that the Clintons share power. Now, one would be president in eight years, one would be president another eight years, over a span of 20 years, with a little uh, Republican in between, perhaps. So, in essence, what happened is that Bill and Hillary, in their mid-20s, before they ever took their marital vows, they took their political vows. You know, a lot of people ask me, do we have to go through all these old Clinton scandals again? Well, I have good news for you. You don't, because you can look at the new ones, because Hillary Clinton scandals are a gift that keeps on giving. Venal, sneaky, ideological, intolerant. Liar is a good one. Scares the hell out of me. Looks good in a pantsuit. I announced today that I'm forming a presidential exploratory committee. I'm not just starting a campaign, though. I'm beginning a conversation with you, with America. So let's talk. Let's chat. Let's start a dialogue about your ideas and mine. And while I can't visit everyone's living room, I can try. So let the conversation begin. I have a feeling it's going to be very interesting. The challenge for Hillary Clinton on the campaign trail is she has to pretend to be something she's not. She's far more liberal than she's going to want to let on. That means you have to be very controlled. You can't be too spontaneous. You're pretending to be something. And I think that's going to be a potential problem for her on a couple of grounds. It's inauthentic, and people spot that. I am sick and tired of people who say that if you debate and you disagree with this administration, somehow you're not patriotic, and we should stand up and say we are. A person who's struggling herself with figuring out who she is, or more importantly, how she wants to present herself 
to the American public because her own advisors told us her sort of authenticity and who she is is issue one, issue two, and issue three for her. I don't feel no way tired. I come too far from where I started from. She's continually trying to redefine herself and figure out who she is and project an authenticity to voters who are, of course, wondering who is the real Hillary. Hillary Rodham Clinton. Could she become the first female president in the history of the United States? Her name is known by nearly every American, but who she really is remains largely a mystery. Hillary Clinton points to her time in the White House as a large part of her qualification for the job as president. But most of the news media has conveniently forgotten that her time as first lady was mired in controversy. The core of the controversy is how truthful Mrs. Clinton has been in answering questions, sometimes under oath, about Whitewater and other matters. She was the first first lady to come under criminal investigation. In both Little Rock and Washington, D.C., she was plagued by numerous scandals. Senator Clinton has extraordinary ability to obfuscate, uh, refuse to answer questions, avoid uh, confrontations, and uh, up until now has been given a pass on it. A story in the New York Times talking about why Senator Clinton voted this way, because I think some people were surprised by it. And her advisor said that she voted yes because she was moving from primary mode to general election mode. Primary mode versus general election mode? How about tell the truth mode? How about we say the same thing in the primary that we say in the general election? We know that Hillary's an insecure person. Secure people don't lie. They don't lie inveterately the way she does. What drives Hillary now is power. She very much is interested in gaining power. She considers herself to be a special person. She has a lot of arrogance, a spirit of superiority about her. And this is the driving force in her life, is to gain and acquire and maintain power. And her husband got to the top, and see, she saw it, she felt it, and she wants there herself. Over the past 16 years, Hillary Clinton has undoubtedly become one of the most divisive figures in America. How this makes her suited to unite the country as the next president is troubling to many. And recall Hillary speaking in a black church on Martin Luther King Day. What a coincidence. When you look at the way the House of Representatives has been run, it has been run like a plantation, and you know what I'm talking about. And you know what I'm talking about, girlfriend. That's how she's going to get to power by accusing the Republicans of running a plantation at a black church on Martin Luther King Day. That's it. Okay. After announcing her bid for the presidency, fellow Democrats, including former Clinton confidant and Hollywood mogul David Geffen, publicly questioned Hillary's integrity and truthfulness. Such breaks within the Clinton inner circle beg the question, what is the truth about Hillary Rodham Clinton? It's a recklessness that's born of arrogance that goes back to her 1960s roots in their narcissism. They believe they are a rule unto themselves. I mean, every time 
Hillary's been caught in a scandal. She really did it. No one made it up. She's deceitful. She'll make up any story, lie about anything, as long as it serves her purpose of the moment. And uh, the American people are going to catch on to it. So who is the real Hillary Clinton? Is she a brilliant trailblazer poised to make history as the first female president? Or is she ruthless, cunning, dishonest, willing to do anything for power? Because of your position, your husband might have given you some kind of unfavorable or, you know, uh, a favored advantage. There isn't any evidence that anybody gave me any favorable treatment. Yes. Yes. A question I'd like to follow up to. First one has to do with Susan McDougall. She said that she brought the documents of Whitewater over to you at the governor's mansion. Did you receive all the documents? And if so, what became of them? Every document that we have obtained has been turned over to the special counsel, no matter where it came from. Um, can you tell us what you know about stories about shredding of whitewater documents down in Arkansas? Nothing. At um, the gubernatorial mansion? Oh, that didn't happen, and I know nothing about any other such stories. Absolutely not. When you look at all the skullduggery in the Clinton administration, all roads lead back to Hillary. It also tells us something about the character of, of the American media. I mean, they, 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 they carry these people. A Republican with that, with those numbers of character flaws, with that sort of behavioral problem and, and, and psychopathic psychology could not run or be elected to dog catcher if it were a Republican. The politics of personal destruction was a phrase popularized by the Clintons in the 90s to describe the attacks by what Hillary called the vast right-wing conspiracy. But is she actually more familiar with practicing that fine art than being its victim? They have been the masters of the politics of personal destruction, and then they use the well-known trick of accusing your opponents of your own malfeasance. So they accuse conservatives of speaking honestly about the ethical shortcomings of the Clintons, while they, in fact, speak dishonestly about the integrity of their opponents. And that has been a bellwether, and it has done destruction to people who they've encountered. Even people in the Democratic Party would acknowledge the Clintons are particularly ruthless and particularly aggressive when it comes to campaigns. They war room. This is a military metaphor for the campaign the Clintons invented regarding instant responses, that no matter what the validity of a charge, you don't explain the charge, you don't apologize for the charge, you don't admit any error, you automatically attack the integrity or the motivations of the other side. There are any number of things in the Clinton's political history that is worth recalling before you go in to vote for potentially for a Clinton, in this case a Hillary Clinton. And it's a small example, but a telling one. When they turned on the travel office, where you had career civil servants doing a great job providing the travel service for the president and his staff, and they wanted to get a, a lackey friend in, they could have fired the guy in charge, but they accused him of a crime. They tried to ruin his, his life in order to be able to get them out and get their lackeys in. When the Clintons moved to 1600 Pennsylvania Avenue in 1993, White House veteran Billy Dale was the director of the travel office. Dale had faithfully served seven previous presidents, starting with John F. Kennedy in 1961. But Dale, who had actually voted for Clinton for president, 
would soon discover that business under the Clintons would not be business as usual. We knew that we were in for a rougher transition because we had heard stories from Secret Service agents who had gone to Little Rock for a two-week stay down there. And the stories that some of the agents would come back and tell us that we just knew that it was going to be different. We didn't realize how different it was going to be. The new administration is free to fire anybody that they want to, but traditionally that does not happen. On the day of Clinton's inauguration, Wednesday, January 20th, 1993, Billy Dale got a call from an unknown woman indicating that Catherine Cornelius, the 24-year-old third cousin of President Clinton, would soon be working in the travel office. When I got to know who Catherine Cornelius was, she went to work in David Watkins' office answering phones, but she never let up in her demands to take over the travel office. In the meantime, I get a telephone call from a gentleman in Ohio, and he wants to know how he can get in on some of the White House charter business. And I said, that's what I do. I arranged the charters, and he said, I know, but he says, we can make some money here. If I had made arrangements with that gentleman, I speculate that things would have been very different than as they turned out. That call was from Darnell Martins, a partner of Clinton's close friends and Hollywood producers, Harry and Linda Bloodworth Thomason, in a travel agency called TRM. When Congress investigated, they learned Harry Thomason had multiple conversations with First Lady Hillary Clinton about taking over the White House charters. At that time, I didn't even know who Harry Thomason was, but we have since learned that Catherine was reporting to him and he was reporting to the First Lady Hillary Clinton. As Dale says, Every new president has the right to hire new travel office staff, even though no president had done so for over 30 years. But not only was Billy Dale fired, along with six other travel office staff members, he was also locked out of his office. But that was only the beginning. And I got accused of embezzling $14,000 that I couldn't account for because the logs were missing. At the same time, D.D. Myers is in the press room briefing the White House press corps, telling them that we were being fired for criminal misconduct and the FBI was being called in to conduct a criminal investigation. I think that they wanted to make it look like they were doing it because it was corruption over there so nobody would criticize them because the media liked Billy Dale and the people there. Gary Aldrich was an FBI agent for 26 years, the last five as an agent responsible for background checks on White House staff. Recall that the FBI had conducted investigations of all of these men and had determined that they were qualified to work in the White House and that they were honest individuals. I conducted some of those investigations. Billy Dale was humiliated and was accused of serious wrongdoing to the degree that they conduct a federal grand jury investigation and an indictment of him. I had dedicated 32 years of my life to this job and served faithfully to Democrats and Republicans alike. The experience was a major event in my career because it taught me that powerful politicians can misuse law enforcement authority 
almost whimsically, and because it was the first lady ordering the investigation, well then, charges have to be found. That scared me. That was different from my experience in the FBI of 26 years. I thought, if we have reached the level where a politician can get irritated with somebody and cause them to maybe end up in federal prison, we've got a serious problem. The White House Travel Office affair became known as Travelgate. When Dale's legal bills to defend himself were estimated to run as much as $750,000, he considered a plea deal, a fine of $69,000 and a brief jail sentence. Blanche and I had been married for 38 years at that time. I decided that I would have to sell my home. Could I ask her to give up everything that we had worked for? The plea bargain seemed just that, a bargain, in order to save himself and his family from the unending ordeal. But when Dale was informed he would not be able to proclaim his innocence, he realized he couldn't bargain with the truth. In the meantime, during this year, I got a notice from the IRS that I was being audited. For the next 30 months, Dale was investigated. His son and daughter were also subpoenaed. I remember during my trial, Vicki, my oldest daughter, telling her mother that if I was found guilty and had to go to jail for something that I did not do, that she didn't know if she could live in this country any longer when the, the government would be responsible for doing something like that to her father. When the case went to trial in the fall of 1995, a procession of White House journalists volunteered to serve as character witnesses for Dale, including Britt Hume and Sam Donaldson. The press at the time, I think, ought to remind people that I testified at Billy Dale's trial as a character witness for him. The jury needed less than two hours to reach a verdict. And the jury came in and they found me not guilty on all counts. I laid my head down on the desk in front of me and cried. Ultimately, the Office of the Independent Counsel's final report on the travel office firings found that Mrs. Clinton's sworn testimony was factually inaccurate. Hillary Clinton was more powerful as a first lady than any first lady that had been in the White House that I knew of. Until I have learned that she was involved with it more than Bill was. Bill just wiped his hands of it and just would let her handle it. That's an example of the cynicism and the ruthlessness of the Clintons. And at the time, I think a lot of people thought that Hillary had at least as much to do with that as Bill did. What she did to the travel office, I mean, in a way, that is the most illustrative scandal um, because it was such an Abita Perone. Maliciousness toward toward these ordinary people. This guy running the travel office all these years. I'm getting them out, getting my rich Hollywood friends in. It's not even it's not even the most the most illegal thing they did, but it is the most contemptible thing they did. Billy Dale wasn't the only victim of what some would allege to be Hillary Clinton's brutal and corrupt political machine. I would say the most important thing I would study is her conduct as First Lady, not as Senator, and the, uh, her lack of uh, sensitivity to civil liberties, of privacy, using the Internal Revenue Service, her hostility to opponents, her hardness, her meanness, 
the Clinton administration almost from its first day started using the uh, uh, the IRS as a threat. I know a lot of tax lawyers, and they said the odds of someone like Paula Jones with her income being audited by the IRS um, is like being struck by lightning twice. Others would claim that using the IRS to harass political enemies was a Clinton White House specialty, one reminiscent of the strong arm of Richard Nixon. They're both very smart, very politically ruthless, very hardworking, great work habits. Uh, some of them not complimentary, very cynical, uh, willing to do things uh, that are beyond the pale of, of proper conduct. Proper conduct would not include using private investigators to intimidate. Those allegations come from several women involved with Bill Clinton, including Jennifer Flowers, Elizabeth Ward Grayson, Paula Jones, and Kathleen Willey. The scare tactics, you know, being followed, being audited by the IRS, their homes broken into. I mean, where does it end? Supporter and campaign worker Kathleen Willey was a White House volunteer who alleges that President Clinton sexually assaulted her during a meeting in the private study off the Oval Office in November of 1993. I kept thinking to myself, what in the hell is he doing? I, I just, that's what I kept thinking. And which sounds silly at the time, but I, I was, I was getting embarrassed for him. If that does, it's just, you know, this is just not proper. You have to remember, this was at the time when there was a lot of speculation about us womanizing, and I was the loyal Democrat, and I would not allow myself to believe that that was true. I just, I just thought it was all just rumor. Willie believes that Hillary Clinton was well aware of the tactics used by the Clinton White House to intimidate perceived enemies. Willie says two days before she was set to testify against President Clinton in the Paula Jones sexual harassment case, a stranger confronted her. We passed, and he stopped, and he said, hey, Kathleen, did you ever find your cat? And then he said, rather ominously, um, yeah, that bullseye was a really nice cat, and that's what I thought, that something else was going on here. He stood back and he said, you're just not getting the message, are you? The Clinton attack machine immediately targeted Willie. However, there are corroborating witnesses. Jared Stern, a former Marine, later told congressional investigators he was hired to investigate Kathleen Willie during a clandestine nighttime meeting. Late at night, he called me, asked me to meet him here in this parking garage. I met him, said he had something very important to discuss. I talked to him about it, uh, discussed the tasking, and then I left to carry it out. Stern declines to discuss what he was hired to do, but Stern has admitted he was so uneasy about it that he called Willie, using an alias. I made a telephone call to Miss Willie. I left a message on her answering service indicating that I'd try again the next day. And he left a message for me saying, be careful that there were people out to get me. Jared Stern is a first-hand witness to what the, the Clintons are doing, have done, and are doing to these women. The Clintons are a unit. They share a zeal for power and a willingness to engage in any and all threat-neutralizing strategies. Legality be damned. No one will ever say what happened to Kathleen Willey was an anomaly. That M.O. can be seen throughout the Clintons' political lives. It is consistent. Willie says her car was vandalized, her house broken into, and a cat's skull was left on her porch. Today, 
she still lives in fear. And I don't understand how any woman in this country could vote for a woman who does that to other people, who sets out to destroy and ruin these women who have crossed paths with Bill Clinton. They're power hungry. They stop at nothing. They stop at nothing. If you put me to work for you, I'll work to lift people up, not push them down. I finally parted company with Hillary Clinton when I saw how she was using private detectives to investigate the women who were linked to her husband. Not to change him, not to reform him, not to make him a better person, but to cow the women into silence so that he could get elected president. I do not want that woman controlling the IRS or the DEA or the NSA or the FBI or the CIA. Not in a democracy, I don't. I mean, think of what it says about about Hillary Clinton, that she was willing to put up with with his open philandering, with, with anything in a skirt who wanders before his eyesight, all for the power. Um, at least with Bill Clinton, he was just, you know, good time Charlie. Hillary's got an agenda, and she's willing to put up with that to, to be president of the United States. She, she's got a to-do list when she gets to the White House. Hillary Clinton's Machiavellian behavior, her tendency to manipulate, deceive, and destroy for personal gain is nothing new. This woman, now a hero to feminists, gained much of her power during the Clinton presidency from her ability to deal with her husband's infidelities. Bill was always heavily involved in the policies of his administration, but he left chasing down his women and silencing them, pursuing the scandals and lying about them, escaping culpability for any of the things in their past to Hillary. She was his Nixon. She was his evil equivalent. She was the one who made sure that nothing got to him uh, because she was so good at it. And she was. Hillary's mastery of the black arts of attack politics is often skillfully cloaked in layers of deniability. But when she needs money, as all candidates do, her imprudence bewilders even her most loyal supporters. The pattern is a familiar one. Huge amounts of money are raised from political insiders, lobbyists, and special interest groups, and questions follow. In the summer of 2007, Hillary was forced to return nearly $900,000 from fundraiser Norman Shu, who is now under indictment for running a Ponzi scheme. During the White House years, it was the dirty money of a cast of characters that included Johnny Chung and Charlie Tree, both convicted of illegal campaign fundraising. I think it was Johnny Chung that said the White House was like a subway turnstile. You put the money in and you got in. And if his tokens were very large, of course. Um, there's evidence that he collected money from a Chinese intelligence officer and they were trying to influence our elections to gain access to decision-making uh, powers in the United States so they would bend U.S. policy towards China. The campaign finance scandals were so extensive, 120 people either fled the country to avoid being in interrogated by investigators, pled the Fifth Amendment, or otherwise avoided questions. Fourteen guilty pleas came out of that. This is really stunning. Um, and it's stunning to me how the media will give her a pass and how the media pretends none of these things happen. 
and they accept the, the Hillary uh, operatives line, which is, well, let's, that's, that's old news. Everybody knows about it. Let's move on. Okay, we move on. Now they're laundering money through Chinese dishwashers in Chinatown in New York. I'm a little surprised somebody in the campaign didn't flag that down and say, ah, dishwashers, maximum contribution or $1,000. Um, let's sort of look into that a little bit. Uh, the Los Angeles Times looked into it and found that they couldn't find something like a third of these uh, Chinatown contributors and that they found other people who uh, said they had no idea that they had made contributions. It looks like a clear case that somebody committed fundraising law violations and the Clinton campaign at the least did not do due diligence to try and track that down. One case in particular highlights Hillary's hypocrisy and startling recklessness when it comes to raising illegal campaign contributions. Though most of the news media has ignored it, Hillary was directly involved in what has been called the biggest campaign finance fraud in the history of the United States. It is a story with all the elements of a bestseller, cash, cons, and Hollywood stars. And it was all caught on tape. Few businessmen have seen the career heights and depths of Peter F. Paul. I've been fortunate to spend time with some of the world's most celebrated figures of the 20th century. One of my idols was Salvador Dali. He had a big influence on the way that I directed my life. In the early 1980s, Paul, a Miami lawyer with a past criminal record, including convictions for cocaine possession and fraud, headed to Hollywood for a fresh start as a promoter and producer. After doing various projects in Hollywood, I decided after meeting a fellow who was a uh, out-of-work uh, model that uh, there was an opportunity for me to prove that I could cultivate a media icon. Within 18 months, I had him on the cover of People magazine. Ultimately, it led to my first meeting with the Clintons, uh, with Hillary Clinton, actually. In February of 2000, Peter Paul met with Hollywood charity fundraiser Aaron Tonkin. Tonkin was a celebrity-obsessed con man who in just a few years went from being homeless to one of the Clinton's top money contacts in Hollywood. Like more than a few Clinton associates from the past, Tonkin ended up in federal prison for unrelated fundraising scams. Aaron, it's Hillary Clinton. I just wanted to call and wish you well for this evening. It was a growing new relationship. I don't know where ultimate would lead, but I was not in a good place because all the people that I met around them, that I dealt with in different events, have all gone to prison. And these are really close people, mainly to the president. Through Tonkin's connections to the Clintons came an interesting offer. In exchange for donations to Hillary's 2000 Senate campaign, Paul would gain access to Bill Clinton for business opportunities once Clinton left the White House. I had uh, become a very close friend of, of the creator of Spider-Man, Stan Lee, and we had started a company together in uh, late 1998. So I embarked on this effort to try to hire Bill Clinton when he left the White House as a rainmaker for the company, Stan Lee Media. We had a, a luncheon at Espargo's for 12 people who were influential in the community, and we also raised some money for Hillary. And at that point, I indicated that my plans were to hire Bill when he left the White House. She responded by saying that she would help if I became a major supporter of her campaign. In June of 2000, Paul agreed to finance what would be the largest and most lavish political fundraiser ever staged in Hollywood. It consisted of a concert, a dinner, and a reception. 
In my office on July 17th, I got a phone call from Hillary Clinton. Paul, who had a habit of videotaping many of his encounters with Hollywood or D.C. power players, says this tape is evidence of two criminal offenses committed by Senator Hillary Clinton. The tape seems to indicate Clinton's participation in the planning of the event, violating federal election statutes. I think that uh, whatever it is you're doing, is it okay that I thank you? (laughs) I think it's tremendous. No, we know what, we're having a good time trying to help out. says she's not sure about what she can or cannot say, is she admitting that her input on the event could be illegal? I think that uh, whatever it is you're doing, is it okay that I thank you? Hillary Clinton refers to Kelly. Kelly is Kelly Craighead, Hillary's senior staff assistant at the White House. Hillary's confirmation that she had been fully briefed on my progress and that she would be involved on a personal basis whenever needed, committing a violation of the federal election law. I know I talked with Cher and uh, she was just great, just said, you know, she really was excited and I hadn't talked to her so you had to have really done a good job selling it to her. And her reference to Cher being induced to contribute her singing services, all of them colluded to hide this from every investigation. All of the expenses that I paid for entertainment and costs of various fundraisers for Hillary were never legally reported. But what I discovered was because Hillary was involved directly, personally, and indirectly through her agent, Kelly Craighead, in conceiving the event, in soliciting the money to pay for the event, and then coordinating the expenditures for the event, clearly the two of them were violating federal law. Ladies and gentlemen, the chairman of Stanley Media, Stanley, I just want to welcome you all to the Hollywood salute to President William Jefferson Clinton. It was the biggest event ever produced in Hollywood for a president. Muhammad Ali, John Travolta, Brad Pitt, Shirley MacLaine, the Steenbergen, the Gregory Peck, Cher, Diana Ross, Patti LaBelle, Tony Braxton, Melissa Etheridge, Sugar Ray, Michael Bolton, Paul Anka. We had over 100 stars. The entire leadership of the Democratic Party was there. And it was, it was a magical evening. But just two days later, the magic was gone. The Monday after the event, I got a phone call from Ed Rendell telling me that the Washington Post was asking questions. The position that Hillary Clinton would take was that she hardly knew me and that I didn't give any money and that if I was smart in order to maintain my deal that I would go along with that. The Washington Post bombshell questioned Hillary's decision to associate with Paul, given his criminal past. The Clinton camp implied they weren't aware of it. I had been vetted six times. My house had been prepared for a presidential sleepover. And the president allowed me to put my name on 25,000 invitations. It's impossible to think that they didn't know that I had federal convictions, which anybody that uses the Internet can find within four clicks. Peter Paul was basically paying for the entire event, and he was held at arm's length. He wasn't invited to the White House, and they did not really want to interact with him. And I, it never really dawned on me, because I, I really didn't understand.
even after publicly distancing themselves from their newfound friend. On August 24th, a fax was sent to my office on Hillary's letterhead, the Hillary Clinton for Senate letterhead, by her finance director, David Rosen, asking me to transfer $100,000 in stock. And here you have a smoking gun document which is on her letterhead, faxed to my controller with the wiring instructions to send $100,000 worth of stock. That's illegal. When I became Hillary's biggest donor, no one made any reference to concerns about my credibility, my truthfulness, or my, my ability to honestly do business. You know, Hillary has no problems with me as long as I'm writing checks. From there, the Paul case takes twists and turns no screenwriter could imagine. Stanley Media collapses. Paul is indicted on two felonies in connection with trading of Stanley Media stock. He's arrested in Brazil by Interpol and languishes two and a half years in a Brazilian hellhole of a prison awaiting extradition. She's never called me a liar, and she's never said that my allegations are false. What she has sworn to is that she can't remember some conversations that we had in detail. I'm not asking anybody to like me or to trust me or even to believe me. I'm asking people to look at the record that is undisputed and to come to their own conclusions regarding the suitability of Hillary Clinton to acquire the highest office in this country. June 9, 2000, did you discuss with Hillary Clinton supporting her campaign in exchange for President Clinton helping you in your business and concerns? Yes. Did Hillary Clinton pledge President Clinton's support for your business interests? Yes. August 13, 2000, at Barbara Streisand's home, did you talk with Hillary Clinton about supporting her campaign, provided President Clinton help you with your business interests? Yes. I've been analyzing polygraphs since uh, 1995. I attended the Department of Defense Polygraph Institute I would say Mr. Paul has been truthful in his answering the questions concerning the issues administered in the polygraph. It was the most lavish affair of all. But her campaign said that it cost 400000 not $1.1 so that they could use the other 700000 for the campaign and use it to buy advertisements. Now the question is, did Hillary know it was a mistake? Of course she did. Number one, she was there and she knew it couldn't have only cost 400. Number two, she frequently urged Peter Paul to hold down the expenditures for it. Number three, after the forms were filed with the FEC, Peter Paul told her they were inaccurate and Hillary continued to file inaccurate forms. And finally, the FEC investigated it and concluded it did cost 1.1 million. I want to thank Stan Lee and Peter Paul and Aaron Tonkin for their extraordinary hard work and leadership on this. The Clinton campaign ultimately paid $35,000 in fines for having underreported the cost of the gala. Aaron Tonkin says both Senator Clinton and her finance director, David Rosen, knew of his illegal financing schemes, including how he reimbursed celebrities who donated to Hillary's Senate campaign. They wrote a check where I told them to write it, the Senate 2000, from the invitation they received, and then I reimbursed them either one or 2000 depending if one or two people came. I told her National Finance Director David Rosen, and he just said, don't 
possible that the senator from New York and former first lady, the most experienced of all the candidates, was completely unaware of her finance director's dealings. Peter Paul awaits sentencing for securities fraud. He vows to spend the rest of his life trying to expose what he characterizes as Hillary's chronic pattern of corruption. Well, I think that like William Sapphire said in the New York Times, Hillary's a congenital liar. Even David Geffen, who was a supporter of hers, uh, commented on her facility with lying. So if she can do this as publicly and in such a, a, a gross and unvarnished way, then imagine if she got additional power in the White House and what she would do with that. I can't think of any other politician in history who has shown such a disrespect and a contempt for the Constitution and the rule of law as Hillary. And, and I represented Richard Nixon's best friend, and uh, I knew Richard Nixon. And I'll tell you something, she's no Richard Nixon, she's worse. <laughs> One of her great claims um, throughout the 90s and in her present career as, sen as senator is that she'll say, oh, this is all old news. Well, it's old news because the Clintons are repeat offenders. They've been doing these things going right back to the 1980s. Senator Hillary Clinton has basically done nothing of note. Uh, she's not been a leader in national security. She's not been a leader on economic issues. She's not been a leader on anything. Is Hillary really the most qualified to hit the ground running if elected president? After all, she was first lady for eight years and now a senator from New York. Referring to her opponents, she said, quote, There is one job we can't afford on-the-job training for. That is the job of our next president. says we should elect her president because of her tremendous accomplishments in the United States Senate. Well, she's passed roughly 20 bills. Let me tell you what some of them were. To commemorate the 225th anniversary of the American Revolution. To express our appreciation to Alexander Hamilton. To name the Thurgood Marshall Courthouse in Lower Manhattan. To honor the men's and the women's lacrosse high school team from Syracuse High School to express the sense of Congress that Harriet Tubman, who died over 100 years ago, should have received a federal pension. But is that the legislative gravitas and qualifications on which to elect a president of the United States? Is she kidding? During her Senate campaign, Hillary promised to create 200,000 jobs, largely to benefit economically depressed upstate New York. And if you help me get elected, I'll work day and night to put this plan in effect. of 200,000 jobs for upstate New York was one of the most irresponsible statements she ever made. 
because A, it proved to me that she had no clue what was wrong with upstate New York, and B, there's no way the federal government can deliver that. Should she have made the promise? Oh, sure. That's what politicians do. That's what God put them on the earth to do, is make promises they can't keep. I don't fault her for making the promise. I fault her for making bad votes in the Senate against the very tax cuts that would have helped the state of New York. Now, the Bush tax cuts were the only hope upstate New York had of competing, and if New York State wasn't so burdened by heavy taxes, heavy unionism, heavy regulatory red tape, upstate New York could be doing dramatically better. by its presence. Where have you seen that? As I've said on many occasions, I still have the scars to show from what we tried to do back uh, in the first two years of Bill's administration. The effort to kill Hillary Care was really good common American sense. Americans uh, know a bad fish when they smell one. Everything Hillary wants for America is what Canada does for all of its people, any one of whom that has five extra bucks in their pocket comes across the border to the United States for health care services. I think it's worth remembering, uh, after her health care fiasco, the Clinton team put us aside. They gave us ceremonial duties thereafter. She was more like a Pat Nixon than she was like an Eleanor Roosevelt from mid-94 onward, because Bill Clinton's professionals recognized she'd made a hash of the one big policy she'd been given. She was essentially out of the White House in 95, 96, and I know because I was there most of that time. She was visiting China. She went to 70 foreign countries. She wrote a best-selling book, did book signings. 
Then when the Lewinsky scandal broke, she came back to Washington and in 98 and 99 led the effort to keep her husband in office and in 99 and 2000 spent her time running for the Senate in New York. Many Americans believe our health care system needs improvement. But what is Hillary's solution? Hillary is really the closest thing we have in America to a European socialist. She really believes that government should vastly expand its efforts in the areas of health care and education, and she wants to increase taxes to do it, from 33% as it is now, up into the mid-40s and high-40s as it is in France and Germany. I'm going to take $10 billion away from a lot of these uh, industries, starting with money from the HMOs that are getting too much out of Medicare, starting with the no-bid contracts for Halliburton, starting with the defense industry that needs to be pared down and reined in. I've been very clear about that. And as she talks on the campaign trail, um, her purpose of government, as she sees it, is to remold society for the common good. The common good in this case means government. It means Washington. She wants government to be in control. She wants government to direct the economy. The other day, the oil companies reported the highest profits in the history of the world. I want to take those profits and I want to put them into a strategic energy fund. She expects to use the government uh, to, to become extremely involved with the lives of the people in this country because government knows best. So when she talks about nationalizing health care, she's not kidding. She's been at this now for 10 years. She wants to take over the health care system. What might Hillary's health care plan look like? Welcome to Yuma, Arizona. In my practice, about 70% of the care is paid for by, by Medicare, federal government, and another 20% is paid for by the state. So essentially, we're a very socialized medical community here. But with so much free health care available from the state and federal government, abuses are inevitable. One of my favorites is a patient of mine who was actually a drug runner. His books didn't tally, and to teach him a lesson, they blew a hole in his foot with a shotgun down in Mexico. Well, he went to the closest medical hospital in Mexico where medical care was free, and they were going to amputate his foot. So he popped up to the border, literally, and at that point demanded an ambulance, which by our emergency medical laws we have to supply. So we got an ambulance to him. We brought him to our emergency room. I asked him, I said, let me guess, this guy's insured, right? And, and uh, my friend said, well, actually, he has Medicare. This guy's been wanted for years on four federal warrants. We're giving him his Social Security check every two weeks. Critics say Hillary's health care overhaul is not unlike what citizens of Canada or the UK now experience. Yes, much of it is free, but is there a catch? The waiting lists get longer and longer. You can wait six months to see a specialist. That's socialism. When you're standing in a line waiting and waiting, that's socialism. I'm thrilled that uh, universal health care is back on the national agenda. You know, as we Remember back in 93 and 94, we tried to come forward with a plan. We weren't successful. I have the scars to show for that experience. Medicine should be between one physician and the patient, not between an army of bureaucrats and the patient. If people give their health to the government, what does the government not control? The federal government from 3,000 miles away is not your doctor. Hillary's health care is one of the few Clinton campaign platforms that contains specifics. But on other issues important to Americans, what does she believe? But on specific issues, I've come out with very specific plans. With respect to Social Security, I do have a plan. 
but personally, I am not going to be advocating any specific fix until I am seriously approaching fiscal responsibility. Do you, the New York Senator Hillary Clinton, support the New York governor plan to give illegal immigrants a driver's license? I did not say that it should be done, but I certainly recognize why Governor Spitzer is trying to do it. No, no, no. You said, you said yes. No. You thought it made sense to do it. No, I didn't, Chris. It makes a lot of sense. What is the governor supposed to do? Do I think this is the best thing for any governor to do? No. Obviously, she hadn't been coached on. And if she's not coached, she's, despite the fact that she's intelligent, she is so uh, insecure uh, and so loathes the give and take of real politics that she just seizes up. And she sure seized up when those questions were asked her. Now, finally, for the first time, everyone talks about, well, Hillary talks about how, oh, they were so mean to her, they were so mean to her. All that happened in that debate was that, I think it was Tim Russert in that debate, engaged in the old journalistic practice of the follow-up question. That's all, that's all it took, and, you know, all... <laughs> Hell breaks loose because Hillary's asked to actually tell us what your position is. You know, it raises the question, uh, can you withstand the criticism in the way that any president has to? Uh, because there's going to be a lot of it for any president at any time, even the most propitious times. And uh, if you're going you're to whine about people complaining about you, that doesn't suggest uh, presidential stature or character. I can support the president. I can support an action against Saddam Hussein because I think it's in the long-term interest of our uh, national security. If I had been president in 2003, I never would have started this war. And if it is still going on when I am president in 2009, I will end it. I was one who supported giving President Bush the authority, if necessary, to use force against Saddam Hussein. I believe that that was the right vote. If I had been president in October of 2002, I would have never asked for authority to divert our attention from Afghanistan to Iraq, and I certainly would never have started this war. So it is with conviction that I support this resolution as being in the best interests of our nation, and it is a vote that says clearly to Saddam Hussein, this is your last chance. Disarm or be disarmed. I stand for ending the war in Iraq, bringing our troops home. We're going to have troops remaining there guarding our embassy. We may have a continuing training mission, and we may have a mission against al-Qaeda in Iraq. There's one Hillary who says, I'm going to bring the troops home right away when I'm elected president. Another Hillary who says, I'm going to keep troops in Iraq indefinitely. One of these two women is lying. I think she did that as long as she thought that it was still politically advantageous to support the war effort. Once 2006 kicked in and the war became quite unpopular, at least for a while, uh, then she started moving to the anti-war position, reversing her positions, which she held only months before. Not because uh, her heart uh, was full of, uh, of uh, pacifistic leftist tendencies, but because she thought it was the politically expedient way to go. Flip-flopping on a driver's license is one thing, but words do matter, particularly when they impact the lives of our soldiers and their families. He loved being a Marine. He looked me square in the eye, and he just said to me, he said, Dad, he said, Dad, what could be better, what could be more honorable than to serve your country? Uh, it was at that point where uh, he became my hero. In 
January of 2007, Senator Clinton visited Iraq. While there, she did an interview with ABC News, stating, I don't know that the American people or the Congress at this point believe this mission can work, and in the absence of a commitment that is backed up by actions from the Iraqi government, why should we believe it? Because I was in Baghdad at that time, and we talked about that. I'm thinking, what the heck goes through the minds of our military that are out on those front lines, the Ramadi, the Fallujahs, out walking the streets of Baghdad, Hadifas, and, and throughout Iraq, putting their life on the line every single day and hearing something like that. Uh, it, it's, just, it's just so demoralizing. Robert Buzz Patterson served as the president's senior military aide in the Clinton White House. Distinguished service in the Air Force, including combat missions, and his regular interaction with the First Lady gave him unique insight about the potential future commander-in-chief. They see that when Mrs. Clinton says something stupid about the war, or Harry Reid says the war is lost, or Dick Durbin calls them uh, war criminals, uh, that is played immediately on Al Jazeera and Al Arabiya overseas. That does nothing to support the troops. Uh, all it does is embolden the enemy to believe if they can hang out a little bit longer, they win. It's very hard to believe her because you don't know what the next day she's going to say. And, you know, that's terrible. Everybody from a four-star general to, the, to a private understands what it means to be a leader, what it means to have moral backbone and, and discipline and integrity. And the military saw uh, none of that during the 1990s and does not see that any of those uh, attributes in Mrs. Clinton today. If we do pull out and we do not complete this mission, my son's sacrifice would have been in vain, along with the other fallen heroes. If, if a legislator does not like the war and decides enough already with this war, then cut off the money. They're entitled to do that. But above all, it's not up to a legislator to try to outguess uh, military strategists. That's not their job. So you say again, okay, well, she's flipping, she's flopping. No, she's not flipping and flopping. She's lying. She will not take responsibility for calling and asking our good, brave soldiers to put their life on the line. She will not take responsibility. Every Democratic candidate, they all want to just get out of Iraq, just whatever it takes. When the fact of the matter is that you can't have good security in Iraq until you've dealt with, at a minimum, Syria and Iran because they're the ones who are arming, training, and running a lot of these terrorists. The war on terror isn't the only issue where Hillary is trying to have it both ways. When it's politically expedient, Hillary campaigns on her husband's presidency. But when the polls say otherwise, she abandons their record. But she can be a selective in terms of you know, cherry-picking and making determinations uh, that she's now suddenly the face of foreign policy, that she, you know, shaped economic policy, except for the stuff that didn't work out, uh, in which case that was somebody else's problem or somebody else's fault. Ladies and gentlemen, you have just heard uh, a stunning illustration of my real campaign slogan, buy one, get one free. This is as much about Bill Clinton as it is Hillary Clinton. I mean, for purposes of this election, it's one and the same. Buzz Patterson carried the nuclear football for President Clinton. While serving in the Clinton White House, he learned firsthand about the former First Lady's qualifications. When she was moving around the White House hallways and corridors, the, the edict was for us to avoid eye contact with her. So 
as to preclude her from making exchanges like good morning, good afternoon, and therefore the, those of us that worked in and around herself and her husband would oftentimes dive into open office, uh, office ways or doorways to avoid her stare. Well, I saw her vent on her husband many, many times. In one particular situation, we were at a fundraiser. As we entered the uh, elevator to go to the top floor of this hotel, sir, Mrs. Clinton lit into her husband with every profane, full-letter word you've ever heard in your life. And as a military guy, I've heard them all. The anger really took me by surprise, how vicious it was and how profane it was. And then, of course, we got to the top floor of the elevator, uh, of the hotel, and the elevator opened. They were holding hands and smiling and waving like uh, they, could, they could turn it on and off in a heartbeat. Both Clintons are well aware the war on terror could be the key issue in Hillary's run for the presidency. Both have been quick to fault the Bush administration for failing to prevent the 9-11 attacks, while absolving the Clinton White House of any missed opportunities. There were many times, 8 to 10 that I'm aware of uh, in the 1990s, that we had a chance as a country to, to capture bin Laden or to kill him, 8 to 10. And every, every time we had a viable opportunity, uh, Clinton chose not to pull the trigger. You know, and I'm certain that if my husband and his national security team had been shown a classified report entitled, Bin Laden Determined to Attack Inside the United States, he would have taken it more seriously than history suggests it was taken by our current president and his national security team. Patterson says that's laughable. He says President Clinton was briefed by multiple U.S. intelligence agencies of al-Qaeda plans to attack the United States. We knew about the potential, for Nick specifically pointed to the possibility of using hijacked airliners into the Pentagon, CIA headquarters, and it also talked about New York City. Cyrus Narasta is the award-winning writer-producer of the ABC miniseries The Path to 9-11. Though his movie takes aim at both the Clinton and Bush administrations in the days and years prior to 9-11, Narasta says he and his film were targeted by the Clinton machine. There was a huge coordinated campaign to discredit the movie and me and get Disney ABC to pull or recut the movie. In the weeks just prior to air, Narasta's home address and email were posted on various pro-Clinton websites. I got death threats at my house, I got hate mail, and they said about basically trying to destroy us and stop this thing from airing. Intimidation included five senators led by Harry Reid sending a letter to Disney ABC threatening to revoke their station licenses if they didn't pull or recut the movie. You gotta understand, these phone calls, the threats on the internet, these bloggers, all of these people out there, none of them had seen the movie. This was all political spin, and it was generated by ex-president Clinton from his offices in Harlem, where he met with all of these bloggers to specifically discuss countermeasures uh, against broadcast the path of 9-11 and how they could get it pulled from the air. Disney ended up cutting about three minutes from the over five hours of the broadcast. So I'm going to show that to you now. They have the compound surrounded. They Thank know you. where bin Laden is. Mr. Berger, is this and what they need to do is coordinate with Washington. So they're on satellite uh, phone communication with Sandy Berger, Richard Clark, George Tenet, Ed Al from Washington to basically get the final green light to go ahead with this operation. Our people are in place. 
how it's been confirmed that Osama bin Laden is in the building on the site. You are the national security advisor. Can't you give the order? Look, George, if you feel confident, you can present your recommendation to the president yourself. So if it all goes bad, it comes down on my head, like Janet Reno and Waco. The buck stops down the hall. Yes. It's shocking that ABC would, would bow down to Bill Clinton on the path to 9-11. Um, it's shocking that Bill Clinton would ask. You can't imagine Walter Mondale doing that. I don't even think you could imagine Jimmy Carter doing that. President Clinton has said he never got that close to getting Osama bin Laden. But national security experts have said on the record that the path to 9-11 was accurate. The path to 9-11 got it right. That's why they were upset. We exposed uh, the hot-button truth that they've been trying to bury for years. The $40 million project was a rating smash with nearly 28 million viewers. It later received seven Emmy nominations. But if you want to catch The Path to 9-11 on DVD, you can't. ABC Disney won't release it. Why would they pass up millions of dollars in DVD revenue? I think the initial attacks were really about uh, President Clinton's legacy. However, now, a year later, with the DVD being suppressed, I think it has become about Hillary's run for the White House. All I can say is uh, what the executive ABC told me, which is if Hillary wasn't running, this wouldn't be a problem. Uh, error, uh, or... With 
Lucky Land Slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. Dearly beloved, we are gathered here today to... Has anyone seen the bride and groom? Sorry, sorry, we're here. We were getting lucky in the limo and we lost track of time. No, Lucky Land Casino, with cash prizes that add up quicker than a guest registry. In that case, I pronounce you lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandSlots.com. Daily bonuses are waiting. No purchase necessary. Void were prohibited by law. 18 plus. Terms and conditions apply. See website for details.